Disney taking another step at coming back to games. CD Projekt, a bunch of liars? Hello and welcome, guys, to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, as usual, Brett Beck. Uh, and alongside me this week is actually someone that some of you may be familiar with if you've been dipping in to either Midweek Matinee, our weekly movie podcast that uh, I am part of, or our Triangle Square uh, spoiler chats that we do. Uh, Mr. Chris Figgs comes in in place of Saul this week as Saul had some stomach issues due to a trip that we had yesterday uh, so Saul keep him in your mind his butthole in your heart thoughts and prayers with with Saul Bridges yeah 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 thoughts and prayers thoughts and prayers all that good stuff with his butthole though remember yes. keep his butthole in your heart it's on it's currently on fire as we speak yeah it, it very well could be I haven't heard from him in a little bit I'm hoping he didn't just kill over on the toilet like Elvis forgot his charger and now he's just like oh my god I can't leave <laughs> Yeah, the update I got was once every 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, so Chris Figgs joins me. Uh, hope everyone uh, gives him a warm welcome as they listen along. And this is not that weird. If you want to hear more of us bullshitting together, you can, of course, always find us in a multitude of other places. But Chris, yes. in a time-honored tradition of this show, we have to start with a nice, clean tradition of... How have you been this week? What have you been up to and what have you been playing? I know the answer to some of this. Yes. So it's I, not like it's all going to be new. But <laughs> knowing you, much like Blake, your ability to jump between games far like surpasses mine. Oh, yeah. I've I've played a lot of games in this past week. Um, I, well, well, let's as hear you, them. As you know, as the, I guess the audience knows, you've mentioned it on the show a couple of times, I am playing through Nier Automata. Finally, the boycott has ended. And then outside of that, it's been a bunch of Slay the Spire. I platinumed Shakedown Miami, which is very good. And I don't know, what was that, Siberian? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, that game is great, actually. Yep. It, it was it was very fun. You know? Yeah, I was really surprised. That was the first Rattalaka game uh, that my buddy Josh, one of our listeners on this show, had sent to me. Oh, yeah. And I downloaded it and put it on my Vita because I was like, good, those, these will be games I'll play on Vita. This has been like a year and a half ago. Uh-huh. And I uh, popped it on, was sitting there watching TV with my wife, and I was expecting just to kind of go through. I was like, ah, this kind of looks dumb, but whatever. And it made me think of, what's that show back on Disney when we were kids? I think it was like Dave of, of Barbaria. Is that what it's called? Maybe. I don't know. I, is it, or is it called Dave the Barbarian? It could be Dave yeah. the Barbarian. Dave, Dave the Barber. The, I don't know. Yeah, Dave the Barbarian. That's what it was. <laughs> and yeah, it was Disney Channel. I was also thinking of Conan of Barbaria, I think. Yeah. Is that the... It, it was like a cartoon show. It was really crazy. Think it was He-Man? Bloody. No, no, no. It was, it was like a Adult Swim. Cor- Corgoth of Barbaria. Yeah, man. I was never going to be able to help you with that. I got no idea what that is. <laughs> it was Adult Swim, so I was solid there. Uh, but yeah, no, that game was awesome. I ended up sitting there playing it the whole night, getting the platinum. Um, and that was when I learned, oh, these games tend to be fairly easy to platinum, but super fun. And it kind of just kept going from there. So Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So uh, do you want to explain to everyone your boycott of Nier Automata? Or do you want to save that for the, uh, <laughs> I can for give the actual a, spoiler chats? You, you want to give a teaser? Yeah, I'll give like a, I guess a truncated version of it is 
I found the buying trophies in game deplorable. So I never, I refused to buy the game. And that is the reason that you purchased the game specifically so that I would play it. <laughs> so I want everyone to understand this. This is dedication. Yes. I already own this game physically. <laughs> but of course, he can't play it if I have it physically here. Yeah. But we game share. So. Yep. The agreement that was struck was that for a long time ago, he said, I will play it one day if you buy it for me. Yes. We started up doing spoiler chats, came the opportunity for us to do that. I've been wanting to replay it anyway. And he agreed. And then it <laughs> turned out that he thought that I hadn't bought it. As soon yeah. as we agreed that that was what we were going to do, I bought it while we were recording. Which I have massive respect for. Yeah, no, 100%. I was like, I am a man of my word. I am yep. buying this game I'm gonna, just so he can download it. I'm going to put this out into the universe so that they know, and eventually the audience will hold you to this. You also agreed to do a Persona 5 spoiler chat with me. I 100% did. You did agree to that. I and have, the more funny thing is you've tried backing out of it more than I have. I have relented because there is a part of me that feels really bad about forcing you to play a 120-hour game that you're iffy on, but it's also the best game of the generation, so you should just play it anyway. <laughs> well, hey, man, we'll get there. I was actually looking today while I was cleaning and <laughs> saw um, my buddy, my name is Dan. He's yeah. uh, over in the UK. He used to do a PlayStation podcast as well. Great graphic designer. Uh, a few years back, he had sent me some of his custom cases because, you mm -hmm. know, we both do that. Um, cool. And one of his is Persona 5, and I was going through and looking at it today. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed <laughs> to be playing that one of these days. <laughs> I really want you to. But I think I've said to you, uh, I've said to you before, like, I almost don't want you to play it at this point because I've hyped it up so much that you're going to be disappointed or you won't, but I've hyped it up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you and a bunch of other people in my life. So Fallout 3 has been my favorite game of all time since 2008. I've spent more time in Fallout 3 than most multiplayer games and Persona 5 has unseated Fallout 3 to the point where I could never see another game going over it. So I'm... That's confident That's in big words it is big words very big words okay well i can tell you that the two games i've played this week i actually took a break didn't play any rock band or guitar hero this week yes as i searched continuously for a ps3 guitar that was part of like the reason to go on the trip suddenly is that <laughs> we were at work and saw was like dude we can go to dallas this weekend and andrew can come and he can look for pokemon games that are that he doesn't have and you can look for guitar or instruments and we can go have fun so <laughs> random last minute trip uh didn't find a guitar still for ps3 oh the man bastards but that's okay uh, but I played Nier Automata, and the only other thing I did is I hopped on Wednesday and did one day of Destiny 2 just to get, <laughs> like, you know, do a couple of weeklies and hop on to get my free Ingram from the bounty, uh, the clan stuff, actually, from them yeah. doing the raid. So I, because I'm still playing Destiny 2 by myself after someone who is right here on this podcast, who will not be <laughs> mentioned, said that if I played it, he'd play it. Um, uh, you cut me some on. slack because you have yet to hit me up and be like hey want to play destiny 2 that is true but that's also because as soon as i downloaded it you were like yeah I, i'm not really playing destiny 2 oh uh, man i've gone through this cycle with destiny so many times where i buy the dlc and never play it Speaking and, of that, what amazed me when I was going through your list of games once yeah. we started game sharing is I was like, this man has bought 
pretty much every soul souls game and souls like <laughs> game in existence so and bad. i've never heard him say that he's beaten a single one of them why the does old- he even do it I trick myself, dude. I think I like these games, and I don't think I like them. The only ones I've beaten are um, Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3. That's pretty good, though. Those are- I've never played Dark Souls 1. I hated Dark Souls 2. And I like Mortal Shell, but every time I played it and died, I just kind of sighed and played something else. So <laughs> I did get like a spark of motivation when you've got the platinum which i respect that no shell run seems like no joke but even then i was like there's there's no way i'm doing that <laughs> just not you were like a, you were a behind the scenes cheerleader for me on that man i was i, I really, really i'm really say, glad you did that yeah every time that i would start even mentioning that i might not do it chris is back there like no bro you got this <laughs> you can do this i believe in you yeah and i should have been rooting for you to fail because we are still competing in platinums we still have a little bit. We have like what three months? Almost? Yeah, March, I believe, is the end. Yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so we'll see who ends up coming out on top. But yeah, just near time and destiny for me. So yeah, it is what it was at that point. Uh, okay, well that's cool. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and move into the community's take, which was actually really fun. This is a good one from Saul, so I'm glad he had that come up. Um, Chris is going to take care of the ones over on Discord, and I'm going to open up and uh, start one off with some people over here on our Facebook. So Josh Shoop, who I mentioned earlier, who gave me the <laughs> a handful of codes of Radalika games, he <laughs> says, easy answer is the Konami code. After 25 years, I still remember two very distinct codes, IDDQD and IDKFA. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. Mm-hmm. This is going to end up sounding like blasphemy. Of course, I'm aware of what the Konami code is, 100%. I've never once used it. No, neither have I. <laughs> IDKFA, what it is or what it does. So, But yeah, I've never used the, the Konami code, so uh, call me a blasphemer. I don't <laughs> really know what it is. I, I mean, you know, I think I've told definitely people who've been listening for a long time, my first gaming experience ever was on sega genesis oh yeah because my dad had gave us his whenever he had gotten a ps1 Mm -hmm. and i'd played it off and on before then but never really a lot so once it came to our room and it was ours it was like okay here we are about to play a bunch of booger man because i'd watched my dad (laughs) do that i had chuck rock 2 son of chuck at all i had a handful of games over here my mom was a big bejeweled fan so every now and then she'd come in the room and me and her would duke it out on uh not bejeweled i'm sorry columns is what it was called but it precursor to bejeweled in the long run yeah had a good time with that so that was where i kind of started and i don't know if it's just that i didn't really play a lot of games from konami that i'm aware of until i played metagor solid one i think that was actually the first time i'd ever played a konami game and i played that pretty late <laughs> yeah i mean i i don't think i ever played anything from that era but like somehow i still know the konami code it's uh up down up down left right left right ba start select i think that sounds right to me yeah and that's, uh, that's the thing is i think you just know it or and if even if you don't know exactly what the code is you basically know it because it's video game lore at this point it's like right. if you're into video games at any kind of serious level you probably know what it is yeah it's the expanded universe of the video <laughs> game industry <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's cool that it's it's survived and moved on and it gets referenced outside of konami games at this game uh, at this point just to be like a reference which is cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, 
I see you want to go grab one off of Discord while I head over to Twitter. Sure. Uh, Brog88 says, if it's not the Contra code, this <laughs> wedding's horseshit. So, I guess and then his, he apologized <laughs> later for drinking. Yes, he's been drinking. So, I mean, that's cool. The Contra so, code. I don't so know if they're the, different. the Contra code is the Konami code. Is right? it? See, I, I get. I don't see. I guess that's due to the fact that I don't know. But I just wanted to read it because I, I found this just funny. This wedding is horse horse crap. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, it's okay. We're gonna break our no cussing rule because one of our listeners did it. Shame yeah. on you, B Rog. I'm kidding. It's cool, man. Think of the <laughs> children, B Rog. So I think the idea behind the Konami code is that it was like the same code across a bunch of different games, but every game did something different. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say forever. I think the Contra code, or when you put that code in Contra, I think it gives you like twenty or thirty extra lives or something. Yeah, I think it was lives. Yeah, and then I think when you move into certain other games, it becomes like a, oh, okay, you're going to do something different, but we're going to keep using the same code so that you have that muscle memory that comes from that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really try to wonder, because I think it was something that was... I always view the, the the Konami code as being something that was like so big before PS1, and then it kind of just continued to kind of fade out. I mean, there are definitely like PS2 games with it. Uh, I can't remember the name of that series. It's like Gradius, Gradius, something like that. Yeah, Gradius sounds correct. Yeah, and then I think there was like a, what is it? When Contra came back on PS2, it was like what? Neo Contra or something like that? I think so, maybe. There's been a handful of them, and of course, Castlevania has moved on forever, and I actually, now that I think about it, uh, the first Konami game I ever played was actually Castlevania Symphony of Darkness yeah i think the funny thing about this question and the konami code being talked about a lot is at this point the konami code is an easter egg in other games yeah it's an answer for both it's your favorite easter egg and cheat code all wrapped up in one yeah oh man yeah over on twitter we have uh i'm gonna pull one from uh dennis here mr kevin bacon bits one of our patrons thank you dennis i saw that you got your your quarterly case and enjoyed it even though the mail broke it if anyone else oh. had that i do like to know if, if your case came in broken please <clears> let me know most people send me a picture so i normally know but it just lets me know if i need to change the way i package that's the first case it's broken almost a year so that's solid but unfortunate nonetheless he says dk mode and golden eye Always gave me a laugh growing up. Loved seeing everyone, including Bond, have massive heads. We actually mentioned <laughs> that last episode is what's funny. Did you? Yeah, how? because uh, there's certain games that let you blow people's heads up. I think one of them, too, is... And it might just be the actual graphical style. I'm trying to remember. It's been so long. Well, I remember uh, I used to play NBA a lot of... Um, yeah, I was going to say, actually, NFL Blitz, where you oh, could do... Yeah. When me and my brothers used to play that all the time, and we never knew any of the Chico's. We would just hit buttons... And, and just, hope, and just hope yeah and that was the thing with those games there were so many cheat codes is you would always get something and it was and you i remember you would play the game and you would start to be like oh i have unlimited boost i'm winning <laughs> <laughs> you know i had that with uh the grand theft auto games when i was growing up too is like yeah you know you'd go, you'd try and get on the internet somewhere like i'd try and go to the public library get on the internet and uh-huh. write down the one cheat code for weapons <laughs> and then i'd go the next time when i had a little bit of time okay let's do the one for infinite health yep. or whatever and then i would just sit there and look at like the three i had i was like these are all very similar it's always like up down left right up yeah. down left right so i just started doing things that were similar to that and found all sorts of other cheat codes yeah uh, 
like it's infinite fu- stamina and whatnot. It's funny you bring those up because I have a vivid remember- memory of using cheat codes in the old Grand Theft Auto games. And a thing my dad always used to say is if I applied myself to school like I did <laughs> learning cheat codes, I would be an honor student. To which I you- say I would rather have all the guns in Grand Theft Auto 3. So I'd rather have unlimited ammo, Dad. You don't Absolutely. know me at all. <laughs> yes. How am I supposed to kill pedestrians? Any you other know, way? fun story for just the way it ended up working out. Yeah. Um, whenever I was young, just because you brought up school yeah, and I sure. think about this, I don't know if this was anywhere else in the country, and I know that we're roughly similar age. So yes. I'm more curious to see if it's something that happened outside of here, if it was a weird initiative in my area. Sure. But... In the third or fourth grade, one of those two, there was this thing where you could go to the library at the school, the you know, at the um, whatever government school system, the public school system. <laughs> Thank you, public school You're system. Welcome. Yeah. Um, anyway, you could go to the library, and they would they were like trying to tap into the fact that gaming was like so popular with kids. So they had it to where you could check out a PlayStation One, and it was it was after the PS One, like when it was yeah. actually called PS O N E. The little small ones came out. You could book one out for up to a week at a time. Wow! And it came with a handful of learning games. Okay. Well, the way that it ended up working out is that our original PS One had gotten my parents got divorced like shortly yeah. around uh, shortly after. I turned six. So I was like, they got divorced when I was like in the second grade. Sure. But because of that, the PlayStation one I had and some of the games I had built up are my dad's PlayStation one. He ended up taking it with him. So uh-huh. I didn't have one at my house and I only had one at his house. Okay. So I went and ended up checking one out of the library. I did try one of the learning games just to see how bad they were. And then immediately started putting all my games and memory card in. Of course. And I was like, aha, game in the school system, buddy. <laughs> yeah. We was had, that like a uh, thing around you? No, absolutely not. It was, that was not a thing. It was, uh, my, my school was to the point, almost the opposite of that, where like, if we had like Pokemon cards or anything like that, you could get suspended. So oh, they were not loaning out PlayStations at my school. We no, did. I gotta say, great job for our. You know, I think when people think about Arkansas and Texas, and I went to school on Arkansas side of my town, uh-huh. but you know, people think about dumb hicks. They were more forward-minded. Yeah. In what ninety-nine, <laughs> two thousand? <laughs> they were more forward-minded in two thousand than a place in Connecticut. Amazing. Yeah. We did, however, have this thing. I don't know if it's, it's a grocery store chain called Big Y near us. And they stopped doing okay. this, but they used to have this called the Little Y where you could put your kids. And I remember you used to go there and they would have N64s and GameCube, all this kind of stuff. So I would just only go grocery shopping with my mother. So she would leave me in the Little Y so I could play Pokemon Coliseum. Was there like an adult that watched over you? I mean, adult, but they were like some sixteen-year-old being paid six twenty-five an hour. So, <laughs> wild times. Yes. The last thing I'll say about that is uh, then we could go on with the rest of these. I didn't mean to just be a tangent, but I mean that's us. I, yeah, right. I did go to Burger King whenever you know we were doing the whenever mm-hmm. I won the PlayStation Five. We were going to Burger King more than usual. Yeah, and my daughter went with us one day. And we went inside because their drive-through was messed up. And it was the one in town that has, like, the big play area. Yeah. But she was disappointed because, of course, you can't go in the play area right now. Right. 
But I looked in the play area and I looked at how barren it was and I was like, man, we don't realize it, but we really had it made as kids. Like, dude, I remember when you used to come to Burger oh, King yeah. or McDonald's and they had like the Nintendo 64s with like a screen on each side and a controller yep. all the way around. And it dude, was like, it was sick. that was way cooler than what kids have now. Oh, for sure. Who wants a ball pit when you can play Mario? Like, why don't you have like a Nintendo Switch or something? I don't know. I find it so weird. Gaming is bigger than ever now, and yet it's away from the thing you would expect it to be in. Yeah, absolutely. I, the upside of that is that it, it does show that they view it, uh, they view gaming now as something that's not so childish. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's, I don't know. We don't have to go on a tangent, but I'm reading a book about Grand Theft Auto, and it's funny. They're talking about like the old, like, no, adults play these games, man. <laughs> and it's super interesting to listen to. Oh um, man! Speaking of Grand Theft Auto, over on uh, Twitter we have Jehudi MD, also one of our longtime patrons and listeners. He says, "I always love the cheat codes in Grand Theft Auto. Max mm-hmm. wanted level while riding a tank is always a treat." Oh yes, turning the gun around and just holding or hitting square and just flying across cities—great experience. You know what I used to always do is uh, in Grand Theft Auto Three specifically. Yep. Whenever I was like, at the end of my night and I just wanted to go out on a bang, I would go to the little multi-layer. I think it was a casino or like apartment complex. It was on the corner of one of the islands. Yep. And it gave you a great vantage point. And I'd climb up the stairs and get up pretty high. And then I would do max wanted level. Uh huh. And then I would just do all the weapon cheats and then just start going ham on the <laughs> tanks and helicopters and blowing everything up and seeing how long I could survive. Almost like Dynasty Warriors. Uh, what endurance <laughs> mode where it's like i'm just gonna see how long i last buddy a grand theft auto muso i like that i would play <laughs> that game actually <laughs> i would too this is weird <laughs> oh uh, you got one over on uh discord yeah so we'll stick with the grand theft auto theme where josh ayers says um the one i always think of for some reason is the heart in gta 4 and the statue of liberty or whatever they call it i can't remember what they call it either but I yeah. assume I assume it's just a parody. I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, Grand Theft Auto Four was the last one that I played, but I don't okay. remember what it was called. Yeah, I don't remember. I do know that the statue oh there is modeled after Hillary Clinton, which I'll always find funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those games. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, I'm gonna do um, another one off of Facebook, and then we're gonna do two more after that. That seems like a good way to stop off here. This was a good answer. First, or a good thing, because a lot of you guys answered. It was really cool seeing this. Um, I'm gonna go over to Mr. Hussein Saeed, and he pulls off with the great answer of, to me, I don't remember many cheats, but back in the PS1 days, I remember buying a few of the GameShark disc. I didn't huh. use them much, but I remember very well never using them on Final Fantasy games. I love that series that I wanted to beat each and every part of it on my own. Yep. Yeah, I, man. Wild times. I used to, um, I used to do an action replay. So kind of the same thing with Pokemon. I was about to say that's the that's the one that you could plug into like DS and Game Boy, right? Yep. And what I remember is having a stack of probably about six hundred pieces of paper with just numbers that were all action replay codes. And I, I just remember sitting in a in the gym at like a swim meet I had and just trying to use them and being like ten and not being able to figure it out. But I do remember that massive stack of paper of action replay codes. Dude, I kind of lament like the loss of cheat codes because you remember the scholastic book fairs when you used to be yes. like so excited that you could get a new cheat code book at yep. school? It's like you'd buy the Guinness Book of World Records and the cheat codes book and you'd be the most popular kid in school for a week. <laughs> 
Yeah, that, and then you throw in a, a good Dragon Ball Z coloring book or art book, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, beating the ladies off with a stick, guys. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, it wasn't actually a lady. It was just all your other friends that were like, dude, you got that? Like, yeah, of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, yeah, I do. You fucking pleb. Good Lord. <laughs> this, is why I, this is why I can't podcast with you. <laughs> <laughs> triangle squared after dark. It is literally 1137 where I am. So, yes, triangle squared dude. after dark. That would actually be that would be a fun Patreon series. It would be. I'm down. Uh, we got we got to figure that one out. We can even really if it's go like into, once every uh, two weeks or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, we can make this happen. We could we could really go into uh, in more detail of Jody Arias versus Casey Anthony. If you want to hear more about that, Twelve Angry Men on Patreon this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see. Two more now. I'm gonna do one more from Discord, um, sure. and then one more from. Ooh, this is hard. I'm going to do one more from Twitter. Go ahead. All right. All right. Uh, let's see. Rude Days 93. Uh, huge Soul Calibur fan during the Dreamcast years, and his favorite cheat codes were the Infinite Health and also unlocking Edge Master. Edge which, Master. Uh, see, I know I have I to be more prim and proper on this show, but I... But you're... <laughs> I thought the same thing. Okay, I'm really glad that we were on the same page because I heard Edge Master and I'm like, I've seen those videos, man. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed, dude. You went 34 minutes? <laughs> oh, God. Okay, let's see. To give a little bit more on that, because I used to play the hell out of Soul Calibur, mm-hmm. but I and, and specifically on Dreamcast. Because here's the thing: I remember when uh, Soul Calibur left being like a Dreamcast, like oh, this is where you play it, and like that was the tip top version. And then you go and play it on like PS One or whatever, and you were like, ah, okay. And yeah. actually, I think it was on there. But you know what? Let me look real quick. Let me make sure I'm not lying here. Because another one of those was Dead or Alive. That series was amazing. Oh, talk about Edge Master. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so let's see. Edgemaster over here says it's a character in the Soul series of fighting games. Edgemaster made his first playable appearance in the first Sir Calibur, but still makes actions in the background throughout most of the series. He returns as a playable boss in Soul Calibur Five. Yeah, I've um you know, I never really got big in the Soul Calibur after Dreamcast, weirdly enough. I've never thought of that until now, but when those games come out, I don't play them. No, neither do I. I always hear they're good. Fighting games have massively lost me. Yeah, I, I can't play Fighters anymore. I play Dragon Ball Fighters Z, and that game is incredible. But I I can't get into any other Fighters right now. Dude, I want a game that looks like Fighter Z, but yeah. is essentially an open world Dragon Ball game, like people were hoping. And <laughs> guess that kind of was true of that DBZ Kakarot. Yeah, I heard it was fun. I was recommended to play it, where my buddy was like, "Oh, it's I a hope really it's easy good. platinum if you like collecting stuff." I was like, oh, "I don't." want to so no thanks but thanks for the thanks for thinking of me bud i will continue to go out to my dream game and i've said it a million times but i'll say it again yeah being just basically a full-on 3d version of like legacy of goku or booze fury those that sounds cool so good all right last one over here i'm gonna find uh let's see we got one from shadow zero zero so mr wayne clear over on twitter he says the part in resident evil 4 before you fight that fish on the lake and you can shoot it 10 times and it comes out and kills you in a jump scare (laughs) good times dude i remember resident evil 4 was like the game for uh secrets i remember i had a buddy who played that game like 40 times in like the 
three-year period that had come out from like wow. GameCube to PS2. And he was like, okay, GameCube's out, and I've mastered that one. PS2's out, and I've mastered that one. And I played it after all that because I was a poor boy. <laughs> and he was telling me all these things. Like, I don't even know if they're true, but I, I assume they were. Yeah. Uh, there's a part where you've got to shoot the amulets for the merchant, and he'll give uh-huh. you the gun that lets you uh, you know shoot a bullet through a uh, uh, first enemy into the next one so that you can be better use of your ammo cool and i remember he told me there were yeah there was like 10 amulets and i think you had to shoot eight or six or something like that to be able to get the gun i remember he told me don't shoot any more than you have to to get the gun because for everyone that you shoot the game internally gets a little bit harder it's like an end difficulty way to scale the difficulty higher that's kind of cool and i i hope that that was true because that's an interesting idea yeah i definitely i don't remember i never did that but yeah, definitely cool. happens the way it is yeah <laughs> oh okay guys thank you so much for that one that was a good one i really like that one and i hope it comes it back um yeah we kind of talked about some of our favorite ones throughout all this too but these were a lot of good ones gave me a lot to think about but you mm-hmm. know what speaking of easter eggs uh easter's coming up boys and if you want your eggs to look clean and clear and proper it's time to use manscaped our sponsor for this week's episode uh. you can head over to manscaped.com <laughs> Did you like that one, Chris? That, that, was, that, one? that was definitely a transition. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was definitely a statement. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can head over to manscaped.com and use code SQRD for 20% off your first order and free shipping. And you know, you can get great things like the Lawnmower 3.0, which is fantastic. Really easy to use. You can use it in the shower. Don't have Mm -hmm. to worry about people kicking down your door. If you live in a home by yourself, you can also just do that. Uh, The kit that we got came with these little papers that you can lay out. So when you're trimming your balls, all the hair will just fall down onto the paper. And the paper's got like, it looks like a newspaper that you unfold with like a bunch of grooming tips and stuff on it. Oh, okay. Uh, So that's really nice. Um, I also this week got the Weed Whacker 2.0, which is the uh, ear and nose hair trimmer. And I was complaining about the one I had but i've got this new one and it cuts about the same but it's much more comfortable it doesn't tug nearly as much and the fact that it's got a rechargeable battery and it costs exactly what that other one cost i really like it's more ergonomic the other one's like almost like a straight pencil and it's really uncomfortable to hold and use so that's great um i don't know if you've gotten around to ordering any i know that this uh, you know saul is saul has plenty of experience with it but you know what chris i'll tell you just like i Mm -hmm. tell all other listeners if you have any interest at all, I think it's worth checking out any of their products, even if you want to start with something small like the ball deodorant or something like that, just to get a feel for how you <laughs> feel about the company and uh, the customer service and whatnot. They've been fantastic. They have a new customer in me for certain. Yeah, definitely. Always support them. Yeah. So again, head over to manscapes.com. Use code sqrd for 20 percent off that first order and free shipping and remember it's not just america guys you can find this over in the uk you can find Mm -hmm. this almost everywhere they've done a good job at expanding out so if you're curious about it and want to hear what we've been talking about then hey or see rather and experience what we've been talking about then head over and see if they're available in your area and that code is active no matter where you're at support the show and support your balls your balls (laughs) will thank you never forget that if you trim the hedges the tree looks bigger okay that's true. That's true. Grow so your like you tree with experience? Manscaped. Oh, yeah. Went from 15 to 16, boy. Woo! <laughs> Centimeters. Thank you so much for you. That, for those of you who have already ordered and supported the show. We really appreciate it. And most of you come back and told us how much you've enjoyed the item. So that's great to hear. Uh, moving on 
we're going to head into the news as we usually do. And a couple of interesting things happened this week. I'm sure that some of you already know, but you know what? That's just where we are. So the first thing up on the list that we're going to brush up on, and here's a, a baseline leading question in here, Chris, before I even get into it. All right. Did you did you play Final Fantasy VII Remake? I'm of the mind that you have. I but have I don't remember. played up to Chapter 9 of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Ah, okay. So, so like that big arena fight or whatever, I'm like two yes. rounds into that. So I know that you're typically not a big JRPG person, and that's why Persona 5 being like a top-tier game for you is already odd. Yes. And exactly. so far, the fact that you don't hate Nier Automata, we won't spoil much more than that, but the fact that you're playing it and not being compulsed, you know, compelled to quit yes. is nice. <laughs> so was it something along the lines of that, or what was it that kind of stopped you from playing it? Yeah, I don't have a good reason, honestly. I think I turned it off to go to work and never turned it on again. That's just what happened. <laughs> that happens, man. <laughs> well, that, that's the problem is when you have someone like me who like incessantly buys games I don't need, which you know, you've seen my list. Like I just end up switching off and then there's something else that I just start playing. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, it, there's been so many times where you'll buy a game and I'll be like, I was just about to buy that. It, dude, there was one I remember specifically buying recently and then being like, Brett, Brett would have bought that. Why did I buy this? <laughs> I absolutely would have bought it. Hey, the upside is, is that I don't know how many how many small games you play, but before we get into this new piece, I did actually buy today Swords of Ditto, okay. The Last Campfire. Um, God, I bought like five games. <laughs> I bought Celeste. Uh, I've been wanting to play Celeste because I, I have Celeste. It Brett. <laughs> well, I bought it, so well, there we go. Here we go. I debated. I was like, he probably has that, but it was $6. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But yeah, I bought a handful of games. So if you want to go check those out, I got some smaller titles. That's what I went after. Yeah, I've, I've wanted happen. to try uh, the Ditto one because I've heard yeah. it's good. So The upside is it's two-player, and I know that you like roguelites. So I we do. Can, we can do that and have some fun. Hell All yeah, right, guys. Try. Well, Square Enix have recently trademarked a handful of titles and logos pertaining to their Final Fantasy VII universe with Ever Crisis and the First Soldier names being being trademarked as well as the Shinra Electric Power Company logo back on December 22nd and were just made public this past week. The names, if you're you know familiar at all with the Final Fantasy VII universe and have actually played to a decent extent, the names are very strongly suggesting that they have something to do with Zack Fair, uh, who is our main titular character in Crisis Core, but also plays a big part in, of course, Final Fantasy VII itself and even the Before Crisis mobile game from way back when. And then, of course, the first soldier being a reference to Sephiroth. Now, the big question here that's raised is whether these names are linked to Part 2 and maybe Part 3 of the remake series, as we still don't know how many there actually is going to be. Uh, but it also could reference to a spinoff game for the first time in the series since Crisis Core, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which was back in 2008. So big news. Square's been doing a lot lately, but you know something that Saul and I have talked about, you know, probably ad nauseum. Where do you kind of land uh, on Square being a publisher that you actually typically fraternize with? Are they a publisher you often deal with, or do you kind of just see their stuff and go, eh? Square has a lot of games I respect and don't ever want to play. <laughs> um, I remember at one point in time you were talking about wanting to kind of do this thing where you played all of the Final Fantasies almost like back to back. Yeah, I do want to do that, yeah. So you could just experience it because it's just so many of them. 
Was seven the first time seven remake the first time you've ever played a Final Fantasy game? Um, I have played ten minutes of Final Fantasy ten, and I got stuck on the ship in the original Final Fantasy seven. So that is my entire experience with Final Fantasy is probably about thirty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah, that's the, a that's an interesting thing to do. I mean, they have so many IP, and they're. I mean, I think it's hard to argue that by now, by nature of them buying out Enix and merging together. Mm-hmm that Square Enix has probably some of the most iconic IP in gaming. Yeah. But yeah, it's one of those things where a lot of that took place before we ever even came into being gamers or before we were that big into it or maybe in a lot of our cases before you were into JRPGs. Like Final Fantasy... I actually want to say it was Final Fantasy 4 was the first time I ever played one. The first Mm -hmm. time I ever really got into one was Final Fantasy 6. I didn't play seven until after eight and nine. It's just so weird the way you end up going about playing games. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're they've got so much. I mean, Dragon Quest, of course, Nier yep. is from them. They have the Dragon Guard series. There's a bunch that they have. And, oh well, they they did Life is Strange. I played that. Um, sure, they did. See, yeah. and then they do have Tomb Raider, which I've played the first one and I, most of the second one. Yeah, which I, I those games exist. They're fine. Um, they're solid. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like they're plenty fun to play so yeah i mean they're, they're a good thing the thing about square is, is i feel like whenever they kind of end up buying up some of these western studios they got in this weird position where i don't feel like they've had that many games from their western acquisitions that have been considered iconic at that point like, mm-hmm. or if they were iconic upon being bought since the buyout they've kind of lost that status like i don't think people look at deus ex the same as they once did no Definitely it's just not. one of those things. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm almost of the mind. <laughs> it's probably crazy. I mean, they've already lost like IO Interactive and Hitman. But I'm almost of the mind that Square probably stands to do better just not worrying and just probably finding someone else to buy all their Western studios. Yeah. But I don't know if they'd be wanting to get rid of a lot of that IP is just worth stuff. I mean, like Tomb Raider, even at its worst, is a very valuable series definitely and so, but you you also think like who would want tomb raider right like i guess we'll get into it later but microsoft now has an indiana jones sony yeah. has indiana jones and <laughs> i guess square enix has indiana jones so <laughs> who are you you know who are you giving that to the thing i, I would have been most interested in is like is giving hitman to ubisoft and having the splinter cell team do that since the splinter cell team is not doing anything yeah, you know twiddling thumbs just hanging out making mobile games <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean it's it we'll see square enix is an interesting story but most of their stuff has been getting their japanese games to come back to the forefront which they've done a really good job of this past yeah. gen dragon yeah. quest came back really strong for the first time in a long time near a series that was considered a commercial failure but like a cult classic success has come out to be like a huge series for them now with a lot of potential of course final fantasy is doing really strong so Mm -hmm. i mean you know they had a couple of hit and misses as well but they're coming back strong yeah it's something i think you guys probably have mentioned it because everyone talks about it with like sony needs to diversify and i think the thing is especially with square and even with sony is i wish they would just focus on what they're good at Square is good at the JRPGs and that kind of stuff. And I feel like when they go outside of what they're comfortable with, just look at Avengers. They don't do a very good job, you know? 
Well, yeah, I see, just the Avengers is like a good example of their Western studios just, I think, failing to do exactly what they... It kind of felt like Bio, and I liked Anthem, but it felt like Bioware suddenly jumping to a games as a service model as well. And mm-hmm. I know that's not all that Avengers is, but that seems to be the part that people immediately identify and go, why? Yeah, well, I think the thing I've always heard about Avengers is that the story is great, but everything else sucks. So, like, why wouldn't you have taken a cue from Marvel and Spider-Man and just been like, okay, here you go. Here's your single-player Avengers game. This is dope. I would have loved to see that from Crystal Dynamics. Crystal Dynamics is a great single-player studio, and clearly they didn't nail the games-as-a-service thing. Not everything needs to be a games-as-a-service. It's true. Yeah. Is what it is. All right, next thing up, guys, and what should come as a surprise to absolutely no one, the new Call of Duty entry keeps the series track record as it marks the 12th year that the series has held the best-selling game spot in the U.S. in a row. That's insane. Now, something that Blake and I, or Blake and I, Chris and I, uh, were talking about the other day, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Something that Chris and I were talking about the other day, uh, kind of organically, as we were talking about, you know, differences in sports games and whatnot, is I don't play the MLB series, the show, but we were kind of discussing about the show and how it's it became the last bastion of baseball games for a while. And then people started coming back in trying to make baseball games, but they just couldn't meet the level of polish and expectation that people hold with something like the show. Mm -hmm. And as we have talked about in the past, Sony uh, ended up being able to hold on to that and do a ultimately a smart move by allowing MLB the show and Sony San Diego at that course to be able to go out and develop for switch and, xbox and i think pc is that right chris yeah it's everything yep everything yeah so i mean essentially mlb came and said like you can still have the license and still make the games but we want them to be available on everything and i think that as much as exclusives really matter and i do think mlb the show has been a very strong reason for people who love baseball to buy into playstation yeah this is going to be such a money move for so oh my god they're going to make so much money <laughs> so the question here becomes because we're looking at the U.S. specifically and the fact that baseball is really big in the U.S., is there any chance that you can imagine since Call of Duty does not have their entries typically come to the Switch, do you think there's any way that MLB The Show this year could rival or even potentially overtake Call of Duty? I mean, like you play that series more than I do, and I think you're probably more in touch with baseball in general. Like, What is your yes. feeling around that? I don't think it's possible. How close do you think it even gets? I think we could see it at number two on the NPD, but I don't think anything can rival Call of Duty at this point because Call of Duty is a game kind of like Madden, but for a larger audience where people buy because it's a habit, you know? Sure. And I don't... Yeah, it's almost like you know it's that time of the year. It's like, oh, time to buy Call of Duty because it's just what I do. Well, that's how I am with MLB, where every year I'm like, I'm not going to get it. I didn't play that much. And then every year I realize, I've oh, I've put 150 hours into MLB and I buy it on day one. I think it's kind of the same thing where every, the new Call of Duty trailer comes out. Everyone says it looks like crap and Treyarch sucks or Infinity War sucks or Sledgehammer sucks. And then they buy it because it's Call of Duty <laughs> and that's what they want to play. So it, I don't think you can surpass Call of Duty because of that. I think, honestly, the only game that has a chance of knocking down Call of Duty for a year is Grand Theft Auto 6. Yeah, no, I, I do agree that that's a potential. But I, I can't believe that even with Grand Theft Auto 5 being you know the best-selling game of all time, I still think it's interesting that 
Grand Theft Auto Five of all games didn't outsell Call of Duty in its release year or even mm-hmm. the release year of its remaster. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's, it's gone nuts. on to do really well, of course. And it, of course it did great day one, but it's just so hard within the time period of a year to dethrone something like Call of Duty. And it's crazy that that always ends up being the case because Call of Duty is only ever on the market for three months max. It's always been like an October or November release. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't know how Call of Duty keeps doing it. Honestly, you know, I I was never one of those guys that's like, oh, it's a reskin. But at this point, they're making the same game over and over again. So you'd think eventually someone would be like, something's got to give, right? And but it's been twelve years. It's never gonna give. Yeah, it's weird. I actually thought the time period in which the series felt like it was its most different was like from two thousand ten to like. 2000 and of course this is coming from someone who doesn't religiously play them all but outside looking in and playing a couple of them i felt like the series was doing a good job at being diverse yeah all the way through like world war ii and i guess you could Mm -hmm. even say i think modern warfare was probably a smart move for infinity ward even though i think imminent warfare was a actually fantastic game it's just Mm. it's not what call of duty people wanted apparently well, no. The thing is, like, <laughs> you don't need to over. Um, I was gonna say oversimplify, but that's definitely not it. You don't need to do too much with Call of Duty. You know, the, I hate the term "boots on the ground," but that's really all you need from Call of Duty. Is I just want to run, shoot someone, die thirty seconds later, and press X over and over again until I respawn. That's it. You know, I don't want to jump around and have to learn jetpacks. That's the thing. I, I always found those games too much. And see, I think that that's what it is for me is that boots on the ground only, you've got to really have a large assortment of really interesting mechanics. Because, like, of course, everyone knows that almost every year Call of Duty feels great, Mm -hmm. but it's it's about having a small number of mechanics that feel really good. And at that point, I just get tired. And a lot of the times back in the past, it was very hit or miss on whether the stories would hold my attention because I want something that's really interesting and unique and I lose interest. So I remember, like, even though I absolutely love the gameplay and the multiplayer of, like, Advanced Warfare, the story lost my attention pretty quickly because yeah. even even though it brought in, like, the th- booster or whatever you yep. want to call it, it still tried to mainly adhere to boots on the ground just with the ability to be a little more, you know, uh, agile with your movement yeah. and what you did. That, to and me, then was when, just enough. Yeah, see, I think that that was a smart way to go. Now, of course, going to where suddenly you're in dogfights and then right. you're in zero G, and I love that. It felt very much to me like a Killzone game, and I mm-hmm. love Killzone, and we didn't get but one Killzone game this generation. So when playing it, I was like, yeah, it still feels like Call of Duty, but it feels like if Killzone and Call of Duty were kind of like mingling around a little bit, you know, flirting, texting, being like, what's you doing? And then <laughs> get, getting into each other's hobbies. And I thought that was so cool. And because for me, I thought, well, okay, it's it's still, if, if Infinity Ward is moving this way and also told what I think is one of the better stories this entire generation, I really thought Infinity Ward had a great story, that if they're only doing this once every three years, this is sustainable to me because it brings in a new crowd for Call of Duty who typically don't care. And yeah. that was me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I think it, it must not have been a large enough market. <laughs> No, I think their problem was changing the multiplayer. They can do whatever they want in the campaign because you're right. Seventy five percent of the audience doesn't play it. You're right. You know, and the the craziest thing, 
I don't play for that game in multiplayer much anyway, but I played the hell out of Advanced Warfare's multiplayer because of it being boots on the ground and then with a little bit extra with the jump pack. But something about the multiplayer felt familiar but terrible for Infinity War. I don't know what it was. I didn't play it at all. It's some of the worst Call of Duty multiplayer I've ever played. It might be some of the worst multiplayer I've ever played, uh, in my opinion. Wild. I mean, but that's just how things happen, I suppose. It's the way the cookie crumbles. Okay, yeah. Uh, moving on to the next thing, Resident Evil 8 was teased this week, showing off a freakishly tall vampire lady to coincide Ugh. with the werewolves that are reportedly in the game as well. Uh, players can use the code, and here you are, wherever you are, remember, you can use your phone to redeem this code, but the code is L-E-J-H-M-8-N-9-E-5-X-F. Download a free avatar that has tall and deadly sexy girlfriend that we get introduced into (laughs) i love me some big titty goth gfs oh man (laughs) uh you know the weird thing that i think has been going around the big bunch of the resident evil community and i understand it because it is kind of hard i felt like resident evil 5 is where it started to feel like it was just going overboard and (laughs) resident evil 7 kind of pulled that back down and now we're getting back to where it's like vampires and werewolves and there's the potential for something really interesting here but I think that the hang-up for so many people is that when you hear vampires and werewolves, there's so much lore and weight attached behind them that it's kind of like what you get with Twilight, where there's a big group of people who just won't watch Twilight because they're like, that's not what vampires are. You're Twilight not following the lore of dope. vampires. So when people hear about vampires and werewolves, they immediately think that there's no way they can explain those within a world as being genetically caused. and. The thing about Resident Evil is, yeah, it is always grounded in the sense that it's always about like a bioweapon or something gone wrong that's mutating people. But I think you could easily explain away vampires due to like a blood um, pathogen that's going on and causing people to do this. And I think werewolves are just as easily able to have it be some kind of a weird gene that's causing people to splice off into this. I don't think that there's any reason to be worried about that specifically unless you're worried that they're going to get to a point where they are legitimately not going to worry about trying to have these things be grounded. No, but I mean, maybe this is just me. I, you know, it's zombies. It's not grounded. (laughs) It's grounded enough, I guess. It's Uh, grounded in that it's trying to be zombies with an actual explanation instead of just the evil dead. Like, Oh, zombies just, dead people from the ground just woke up (laughs) yeah that's fair i don't know i just think like if you can accept zombies you can accept werewolves and vampires that's how i've always felt about it Well, because they're the same thing prior to something like resident evil people didn't think of zombies as like gen like you know oh bioweapons gone wrong people thought of zombies as just like werewolves and vampires they're just you know mythical creatures yeah just and then suddenly it got popular to give a oh this is a very grounded and real take on how you could become a vampire or how you could become a zombie why can't you let that happen with vampires and werewolves too i think it's fine as long as they handle it in a way that feels consistent with how the, the series is always handled yes yeah. i just want resident evil to be spooky that's all i want sure yeah and i mean and these are easy things to be able to pull in some creepy stuff with. And I yeah. think Resident Evil 7 did a great job oh, returning I, to something really creepy when I didn't feel like 5 and 6 were really scary at all. They were not. Can I tell a quick story about Resident Evil 7? Go ahead. Uh, one of my closest friends, he had, he was playing it in PSVR. <laughs> and we were doing a party chat, which is like we were all share playing and watching him. And he got to the door of going into the house 
and was like, guys, I can't do this. And we <laughs> sat there in the party chat trying to get him to go in for like 10 minutes. And eventually he was like, I'm not doing this. So he deleted Resident Evil 7. He's never played it again. And I, <laughs> that is the best testament to that game I, I can give. It is. And that's that's almost a shame. Is like, I don't even, I, I only played Resident Evil in VR or Resident Evil 7. Really? So, like, when people talk about it and, like, how much they love the game and how much I love the game, when someone says they didn't, I can't even come at it from the side of, like, oh, yeah, I guess that is how it would be outside of VR. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I didn't like, play it in VR, so. Every experience I had with it was like that. Because you know, if you remember, they came out with, when PSVR came out, and you may not because you didn't, you were, you were a late adopter for PSVR, right? I was, yeah. Okay, but you still may know this since you had a friend that was kind of going around it. But mm-hmm. early days, you probably remember from even just PSVR, I mean, from the PSX or E3 it was shown at, um, they had a demo for VR that came on the demo disc with the VR unit called Kitchen. Yep. And yeah, I remember. It was terrifying. Was it? And I remember everyone I'd show it to was like, ah, this, this is too much. <laughs> and they would kind of back off. But that was before we even knew what Resident Evil 7 was. Uh-huh. And then when Resident Evil 7 ended up coming out and being full VR supported, I've never experienced anything about that game outside of VR. Really? That's insane. But that game is absolutely terrifying in VR in the best way possible in the way that you almost like how much of the game did you end up playing a good considerable amount of it or yeah i beat resident evil 7 did you beat it in vr or without i never played it in vr oh you have vr now oh yeah well sony refuses to send me my dongle so i can't use my vr system (laughs) that's true you need to call about that i do uh but if you ever end up getting it back definitely since resident evil 7 i think is part of the ps plus collection right Mm mm-hmm you need to play it in VR. And I'm telling you, there's a. I know you know the part. I don't even consider this to be a spoiler because it's so early game. There's a part where your girlfriend turns on a dime after you yes. go to rescue her at the very beginning. And suddenly she stabs you in the hand because like, you turn around and she's lunging at you with a knife and your character lifts his hands up. And what's <sighs> funny is instinctually i did the same thing because i'm in vr i'm seeing this girl jump up i had the controller in one hand and the other one was completely open and it happened to be the same hand that when i threw it up on the screen there was nothing in it and then she stabbed the hand of the character <laughs> and i felt it did you that's cool dude it, i mean it it freaked me out and i started sweating profusely and i had to quit that day i was like <laughs> i was like oh this is a lot so i had to turn it off i went to sleep for like 13 hours afterwards <laughs> And I had to come back to the game being like, okay, it is just a game. And then I went through the rest of it. And I had some moments that close rivaled that. But, dude, it it kind of really, I think Resident Evil 7 is the selling point even years later for VR. There are others. I'm not saying it's the only. But it's probably the most immersive use i've found yet i've gotten really close with things like firewall zero hour i love that game it's really fun but nothing's quite like resident evil 7 like it's it's amazing so you need to do it and if we do if we set this up right we can find a way to make we we, will we'll stream it or something where people can watch your reaction i'm down to do that yeah that'd be really fun so we'll figure out a way to do that and capture it i think you can run a capture card through it just like you would anything else and just capture the left or right eye whichever one it shows cool 
I'm down. We do this. All right, next thing up, Disney, as we mentioned in the cold opening, is taking another serious step into utilizing their properties in the gaming market with the announcement of Lucasfilm Games. This company will be responsible for partnering with studios to release games using Lucasfilm IP, such as Star Wars, which was revealed to have an open-world title in development at Ubisoft's Massive. If you'll remember, they're the studio behind the Division series as well as the as like the supposed upcoming Avatar game that's also a Disney property that I don't know if it's ever coming. I hope not. Just like I don't know if any of those movies are ever coming, but we'll see. I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As well as the announcement of an Indiana Jones game being developed by Machine Games of Bethesda. If you don't know them, they're developers of the recent Wolfenstein series with Todd Howard of Bethesda Game Studios acting as executive producer, which in the film industry doesn't really mean much. So I wonder how much that actually means in the gaming industry. Supposedly, he's the one who pitched the game. I saw that, but I... I wonder, and I would have almost wanted to consider him if he pitched a game. Wouldn't that make him creative lead at that point? But he I probably guess, doesn't yeah. have the bandwidth to be creative lead over Indiana Jones, Skyrim's follow-up, Skyrim 2, as we will. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Elder Scrolls 6. Uh, and then, of course, Starfield or whatever it's called. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. You I almost got to wonder, like, what – does he just – give the idea and then you just go on to something else i don't know probably i mean he's the one who was just like hey i want fallout and then they randomly went and bought fallout because he was like this is the fallout game i'd make (laughs) then he made the one of the best games of all time thanks todd yeah there you go uh this comes as anybody who may remember this is not really that long ago this comes after disney closed most of the development and publishing companies back in 2016 and we're seemingly looking to just step away from the games market completely as at that point uh, EA had the exclusivity deal that they had signed back in 2013, basically as soon as they acquired, uh, as soon as Disney acquired Lucasfilm, mm-hmm. uh, to where EA would make those. And of course, this is also the first time that a non EA person uh, is, or a non EA developed Star Wars game is announced uh, since then. And that brings up a couple of things, but the two things that come from that to mind to me is that of course with the kind of revamping of marvel's games uh, marvel games and seeing how well that's done it makes sense to me that after they've had two smash successes with the spider-man games and then the iffy performance of (laughs) i mean if we're being honest the iffy performance of avengers yes it makes sense for them to kind of go back and be like okay now what can we do with something else and kind of roll it out little by little i almost wonder if in the long run they'll eventually start with like a uh pix uh, a pixar games where they'll take pixar ip and convert them into games through partnerships with our strategic partnerships is probably the better word to use with actually talented studios instead of trying to form your own studios to do that yeah uh, so there's that and then also the first thing that comes to mind is that EA has said time and again that they had a 10-year exclusivity period. So that would mean that this Ubisoft Star Wars game is either being announced super early days and we won't be seeing it until like 2023, or EA and Disney have come to terms to a new agreement that allows them to go ahead and break out and maybe EA will get some kind of compensation for this. Mm. Or they're just going to outright break the contract and say, well, we're Disney. We have Disney money. Don't worry about it. (laughs) What are you going to do? Sue us? (laughs) No, I think, honestly, I think this just dates the game. I think this is a 2023 game. I think so as well. We're hearing about it now. And I think the thing is, if I remember correctly, Massive is hiring for the game. 
Yeah. So this is more of like cyberpunk being quote unquote announced in 2012 yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And even then, I think that it's even likely that this game doesn't even come out in 2023 uh, no, <laughs> if I they're just now shocked. hiring. You don't know. I mean, it's it's kind of how I felt about them announcing that Massive uh, was making the Avatar game. It's like, why are you telling us these things? Yeah. I know that when you announce something like Lucasfilm Games, you want an announcement that goes alongside it. But yeah. it feels weird to do all these announcements. I don't think we're going to see Indiana Jones for another two years. No, I at, think e- at least even Indiana Jones, which this is kind of my conspiracy on Indiana Jones. We can talk about that in a minute, but I think they had to announce that game now. You know, um, I mean, why? Why? Just out of curiosity, I want to follow your your logic. I don't think that game's exclusive, and I think, I think that's yeah. that's why it was announced before the deal went through. Yeah, so that's actually exactly where I'm in line. I think that if anything, the Indiana Jones game is probably further along in development than the massive game for Star Wars. Yeah, but, I would. Uh, I don't know necessarily that I would agree, but maybe. Well, I, and I mean, I guess part of the reason I say that is that we at least got a teaser video for Indy from yeah. Bethesda, and it was basically just a, hey, we're doing this for massive. I just think I also remember hearing that they were like, this game ain't close, bro. <laughs> oh, and <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm sure that's true as well. Uh, but either way, I mean, I, I do agree with you in the sense of before this move goes through, it makes more sense for them to do this and kind of come out with it now so they can say, like, hey, of course, we, this is already contractually <clears throat> here. It's going to be released as a multi-platform title. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if this one of the first games of this uh lucas film game come you know revival they want it to do well and i wouldn't be surprised if they try and find a way to fit it even on something like the switch uh even right. if it's just through cloud streaming you know yeah i mean i there's a part of me that hopes this is exclusive to microsoft because microsoft needs stuff and you know this would be cool like for third parties you got tomb raider everywhere sony's got uncharted and Indiana and Microsoft just said we're not going to be creative with our Indiana Jones ripoff. We're just going to do Indiana Jones, <laughs> which is fine. Oh, you know, I'm totally kind of cool. like you in the sense of uh, I, I guess I should say no. At no time do I think it's impossible that this game is can't be exclusive. Like I, I don't think it's it doesn't have the ability to be exclusive. It certainly could be, but yeah. I think the timing of the announcement, like you mentioned, is pretty telling. Though it's not, you know, setting anything in stone, as we know, they didn't mention any platforms. Right. Um, we've seen Disney and a company that's putting out Disney products with Marvel go after exclusivity. Though there's more reason for Spider-Man to be exclusive to a Sony platform mm-hmm. than there is for Indiana Jones to be exclusive to a Microsoft platform. Because as far as I know, Disney's not trying to work out a deal with Microsoft to use Indiana Jones in the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe. That would we be could be cool. su- we could be surprised. You know? Yeah, Harrison Ford's just swinging off a Chitari. <laughs> you never know, okay? Uh, but yeah, it's just I think that there's a couple of reasons as to why I think that people using Spider-Man as reason as to why Indiana Jones would be exclusive is both valid and invalid. I think there's way more reasons for Disney to want to relent and be like, well. PlayStation's already a huge platform. We wouldn't really be missing out on that many sales if we stick with it. Yeah. It it ends up being with a strong studio and gives us a really strong <clears throat> launch so that people feel like the name Marvel Games actually means something. And of course we get the benefit of being able to use Spider Man 
and our movies for as long as humanly possible right and so the thing that everyone talks about is like there's so many they're missing out on so many consoles right if you don't put it on sony or you don't put it on microsoft and you don't yeah, or yeah but people forget that sony as far as we can gather because microsoft doesn't give out sales data which should tell you something about the success of the xbox the anecdotal evidence is that the ps4 sold triple what the xbox did so there is significantly less onus on someone working with sony to be like yes we need to go third party than with someone working with microsoft where they're losing triple the audience you know what i mean yeah so i think that's a big thing that people discount is that's why sony can be so hard-headed is they're so far ahead that nobody that they they can afford to lose out on those sales if they work with sony but it's a lot harder to get that with microsoft that's why microsoft probably has to spend a little bit more money not that sony doesn't yeah. have to spend money for their exclusives but you get yeah i mean certainly we know that sony lines the pockets pretty thick but they also have I, I would be really interested to see the amount of money that sony typically like, on average spends for some kind of a third-party exclusive versus what microsoft spends on a third-party exclusive yeah I'm, like I, I'm trying to think of a great example. I mean, I really can't think of a time where because Sony's just so good at having first-party exclusives that they don't need to bolster their stuff with third-party exclusives very often. There's that big rumor that GTA 6 will be exclusive on on PS5 for a year or whatever it is, and they paid 750 million for it. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. We'll certainly but. find out. And if we do, dude, what a I mean. If we're, we're just going to have to call it what it is here. Microsoft swung their dick yeah. buying Bethesda. Yeah. If Sony... Sony doesn't need to rebuttal as far as I'm concerned, but if Sony wants to rebuttal with one-year exclusivity for Grand Theft Auto 6, which by all accounts would follow in the success of Grand Theft Auto 5... Yeah, that's, that's a headshot, man. <laughs> that, 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 I mean, that's, that's just Sony swinging dick back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it is what it is at some point. I mean, yeah, it's going to be one of those things that will unevenly impact someone. And that's just the reality of game studios and game development right now in general. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, the, the it's exciting because we're going into a new generation. So there's, there's always that feeling when going into a new generation about it feeling like the sky's the limit. It's like almost mm-hmm. anything can happen right now. When we almost always see some big shakeup in some capacity at the start of a generation. Now, we didn't see that, or we haven't seen that yet necessarily with any kind of super strong evidence about PlayStation versus Xbox on sales, and Xbox is doing much better than they were at the start of the PS4, Xbox One gen, just like PlayStation was doing a lot better at the start of the PlayStation 4 gen than PS3 was doing. Yep. But it doesn't seem like that's where the differences are. Right now, it seems like the big shakeups that are happening is all about acquisitions. I think it was really smart for Sony to acquire uh, Insomniac and their multiple studios. Definitely when Insomniac has so much VR development experience, and if we're going to actually see Sony double down on VR, that's a sensible move. Microsoft's thing is needing to quickly get as many first-party studios in their head as they can, in their hands as they can, and a move like Bethesda makes a lot of sense, and you get a lot of built-in, really great IP that they can yeah. choose to do what they want to with, be it make it exclusive, timed exclusive, or outright open third-party games, basically, mm-hmm. at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is you can kind of see the trajectory of these consoles just looking at ebay right which is not the best don't support a scalper but 
if you go to buy a PS5, I just looked, so significantly harder and significantly more expensive. A PS5 is sixteen hundred dollars on eBay, and a Xbox Series X can be had for less than a grand. So that you know, that's the kind of stuff that I look at to kind of gauge where these are at. Sure. And I think the big thing, Microsoft is playing a different game than Sony is, which is why I think they do need some kind of rebuttal. Um, but why Sony needs a rebuttal or why Microsoft needs a rebuttal? Um, I think Sony needs to do something in terms of uh, buying a studio and kind of because eventually Microsoft is going to be the place for exclusives whether or not they're better than Sony's is which I would argue that they won't be because they have no matter how I felt about Last of Us 2 they have the best development studio in the industry so in Naughty Dog yeah but Microsoft has 25 studios yeah. So, Whereas what we're seeing Sony do, like right now, I think Sony's rebuttal in that particular idea, um, in that regard rather, is that they're looking at taking a studio they already own and open and basically creating new development studios within that one or teams within that singular studio. Yeah. So you'll have that setup where it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if they try again to take a place like Naughty Dog and try and expand it again to be a two-team studio. Though, if sure. any studio needs to remain a single-team studio, or if, if any team was going to be allowed to against Sony's wishes, it'd probably be Naughty Dog. Because yeah. regardless of how you feel about The Last of Us 2, it was still the fourth best-selling game in the MPD last year. So yeah. it is what it is, but I think we already know that we're trying. We're seeing Gorilla expand into a second studio after they became a big studio. It looks like Sony Bend might be expanding into a second studio after they became big from Days Gone. I hope so, so there's a lot of moves happening. It, the purchase of Insomniac is smart. Insomniac yep. already has multiple studios. I wouldn't be surprised if after the success of Ghost of Tsushima, if we see Sony try and heavily invest within Sucker Punch to let them become a multi-team studio as well. Mm-hmm. And by nature of doing that, you end up becoming this thing of where Microsoft has 25 single stu- like single team studios. Then you right. have Sony owning 12 to 15 multi-team studios, which end up either leveling out or maybe even surpassing. It's an interesting strategy, and I'm yeah. curious which one will work out right better. Yeah, my whole thing is not – I don't want Sony to go out and like buy Square Enix, right? If they're going to do that, I want them to buy Sega so that I can keep playing Persona on my PS5. But <laughs> yeah. I, well, for me, I've always thought that they should give Konami the rights to make pachinko machines and buy their license, their gaming licenses. I don't know why that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, essentially do what they did with Spider-Man and only buy the game license for yeah. those things and leave the you know whatever kind of license let, would be needed for the pachinko machine exactly let, let them make their metal gear gambling games and then you make metal gear solid 6 by kojima studios and have him continue his franchise if he wants to do that if he you wants know? to yeah that's important i think that i still kind of land on the i think the easier solution there is just for sony to leverage their clearly great relationship with konami and to say listen our, we would develop it. We'd handle all that. You'd still even own the IPs. So you have the money that comes along with it, but we want exclusive licensing rights for the next 20-some-odd years, and we'll choose who does it, and you'll just continue to make the pachinko machines. I think it's yeah. just as likely and just as potential, <clears throat> and I think it might even be a smarter move than an outright purchase of all the IP because there's so much overhead that comes in that. If they just agree to be like, we're going to get, we're gonna make you money for your IP that you don't want to have to deal with hiring studios to do, it's a it's a cheaper solution to do the same end goal in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, that's fair. Uh, that's probably a better idea. The but. only problem with that is that if they did want to let Kojima come back, if Konami was still involved with Metal Gear Solid in any capacity, right? Kojima, if he even wanted to, would probably be like, no, nah, I'm good. And Konami might even be like, anybody but Kojima. Yeah. <laughs> so you never know. Uh, okay, next thing up, uh, speaking of EA and Star Wars, as we were a minute ago, another announcement that came this week was that Respawn Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order received an update that allowed it to recognize when it is being played on a next-gen console thus allowing the title to tap into the extra power while still running in backwards compatibility mode. So note, this is not a PS5 upgrade. This is more like what we've seen with God of War and whatnot, where it just taps into that extra power and helps it hit higher frame rates and higher resolutions more consistently than what we saw before. So PS5 users in specific are getting a constant resolution of 1200p, uh, which is up from its dynamic resolution on PS4 of 810p to 1080p, as well as 60 frames per second, which is up from an average of around 45 frames per second on PS4's performance mode. So you can get to play that game without it suddenly looking fuzzy when you walk into a new area, which was... Uh, I. I'm glad that not a lot of people complained about. I think people were just exciting to, excited to have like a single-player Star Wars game. But Yeah good to see and i think it's a that's another one of those more sensible announcements for lucasfilm games right it's like yeah. hey along with us we got an update it probably would have been the best move if they were able to get a ps5 straight up ps5 upgrade available at the same time yeah as that announcement. I'm, I'm surprised more people aren't doing that you know i know you guys have had this conversation but i've always been a fine with like hey here pay me 10 bucks and here's your upgrade just see, do that yeah, Saul seemed to have a problem with that, but I think that's a I think that's such a great solution. Why why worry about releasing individual remasters this generation when mm. updates and patches and backwards compatibility make it really easy to just go, here's the PS5 upgrade patch. We don't even have to necessarily compile it as a different game. You can, yeah. but just pay us $10 and you're buying the remaster of the ver- of the game you already have and it's essentially like buying new texture packs and all that stuff yeah exactly i would certainly do it and it funds <clears throat> new games from the same studios sure am i and my, my argument has always been you know i bought the ps4 version of jedi fallen order you know so while it would it's not it's a little anti an anti-consumer stance i guess I, i'm not deserving of a new consoles version of this game because I own the last one. I made the decision to buy the PS4 version. So while I appreciate everyone giving me free upgrades, that's awesome. If you want to charge me 10 bucks, I'll pay you the 10 bucks. You know, I bought Control Ultimate Edition for 20 bucks. So, you know, I just need, I would rather support a studio. So just, if you, that's I what agree. you need, that, if that's what yeah. you need to do the next, the next gen upgrade, uh, as opposed to not doing it at all, I'll pay you the 10 bucks. Well, and I also think it's a good way to get like smaller studios who had games that did well, but not like smash successes. Mm -hmm. And they could even come out and rightfully say like, hey, we have a small group of people that's being pretty cost efficient for us going through and making a PS5 version of this game. We're going to sell it for $10 and that money is going to specifically be used so it can go towards us either making a follow up to a, a game that wasn't that wildly successful, but people who liked it are hungry for another entry or... It's, a, it's going to be used for us to do a brand new game that hopefully you'll enjoy as well. And you kind of leave it up to the consumers. No one's forcing them to buy it. It just kind of right. comes around like, hey, if you want to do it, you want to support this studio who doesn't have the means to do this for free, then do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back to your point, too, I think why I really agree with you 
is that you mentioned that like I chose to buy the PS4 version, whereas when you think about consoles and, and PCs, the kind of difference between the two is that for a console like the PS5 to be able to benefit, a lot of the times what we're seeing is that developers are having to come in and do some kind of work, some kind of coding, some kind of whatever to make the game run at these higher levels of performance because a console is a set thing. So for them to highly optimize and make the game as good as they could for console to where you could get the best experience like you actually would want from them and not something like what we saw with Cyberpunk, which we'll get into, then you want them to hyper-optimize, which means they can't make a game that when you suddenly move the PS5 just scales up really easily. It's not quite the same as a PC where from day one on development, it's always like, well, we have a range to work within. So we know that we can go ahead and tell the game that it can run like it's kind of how you can play games from 2004 and suddenly you can play them in 4k yeah because it's like the game was always set up to be able to resolution scale up with whatever you had the power to push yeah exactly but it's also one of those things where have have you played days gone on the ps5 i haven't but i've i've seen screenshots and i've heard it run so well it looks like a completely different game and that's just backwards compatible right but, yeah, I mean, there, there's a patch in there that tells it, yeah. hey, use this extra power. But, but yeah. I guess, I guess the point I was weirdly making was, like, even on my PC, I have a great rig, and Crisis still looks like top-end Crisis from 2008, you know? Sure. The argument with PC is a little weird to me, I've always felt. But, you know, the big, the big, thing, the big thing I've always kind of seen with this is, like, do you deserve a free PS5 patch for Fallout 4? right fallout 4 is what 2016 yeah that's four years ago you bought that game with no, without even a thought of the ps5 and then now yeah. why would you be upset now if, if bethesda was like hey for 30 bucks 70 dollars for new customers 30 bucks for past owners you get a ps5 version new trophy list fully optimized for ps5 yeah i think it makes I, tons of sense it's like absolutely yeah. yeah bloodborne remastered like that sounds ridiculous in a, in a way because I, i'm kind of sick of the remastered title but bloodborne ps5 that's a that's a new game yeah and it you needs know? it but it does. and it doesn't make sense for them to come in and just say hey we're gonna have to pay someone to sit here and hyper get the uh, you know, hyper optimize this for what we can do on ps5 and fix the issues that this game originally had from its ps4 limitations like that yeah. costs them money it's not crazy for someone to be like hey we're having to pay someone to come back and do this mm-hmm. we're gonna charge 10 20 whatever it is that they decide to charge for it uh for yeah. existing customers and they come out i think it i just think it's not crazy yeah no. in an ideal sense though those things are free just because it's ideal for anybody i mean you can't look at that and say it's not ideal it's just what life is right. but i think that it's more reasonable if you tell me well uh let's think of a game that okay like the last of us part two Yes, that was a game that came out when they everybody knew ps5 was coming yeah. it was all part of that and it's so close that if Sony were to come out right now, like they did on PS4, and say, here's The Last of Us 2 remastered for full price, which even on PS4, if you could prove that you had the PS3 version, if you had it digitally, it was like you could upgrade for 40 bucks instead of 60 Yes. So they still tried, but also very different platforms, and a lot of work had to be gone in. And they also did a lot of work on that remaster. They did. So you get to that point where it's like, I get it if someone says, well, I just really feel like the last of us part two should just get a free upgrade to a ps5 i think there's way more of a reasonable argument there than hey kill zone shadow fall that i bought in 2013 
when everyone thought the console market was going to crash <laughs> yeah yeah deserves to be freely updated to maximum use of my ps5 it's just so it's i guess crazy i guess even in that situation i don't necessarily agree i see the argument way more than i do with some other games but you can still play the last of us 2 on your ps5 absolutely you can every bit of so, you play Killzone. you can play Killzone shadowfall on your ps5 and it runs at 60 frames per second exactly you know that's my thing is i don't think just because the game came out close you deserve a free patch i think that's the right thing to do on a consumer level or sure. to please your consumers but i don't necessarily think i would buy an argument of well i just bought the last of us yeah two, they still don't so. owe you anything no you, you bought it on ps4 you could have waited <laughs> true yeah to where we are uh, speaking of Sony and uh, their upcoming titles, though, earlier this week, Sony had originally included target release windows in its CES 2021 sizzle trailer. CES, of course, happened, and they kind of showed some stuff. It wasn't that heavy with games, but is what it is. Anyway, it showed uh, Project Athia, or Athia, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> the upcoming Square Enix title that Saul and I have been continuously saying that we hope this doesn't follow Square's problem of announcing stuff far too early. Yeah. Um, Sorry. It showed it to be releasing in January of 2022. It showed Ghostwire huh. Tokyo in October of 21, Kina uh, and the Bridge of Spirits or whatever it's called in March of 21, and a couple of other things too, yep. uh, like Pragmata. It was saying it was going to be a 2023 title. Holy crap. Yep. Uh, Game I'm most excited for out of that, Stray. Yeah. Stray, yep. looks, Stray looks effing great. <laughs> it does. It looks so good. Anyway, they've since re-uploaded that exact same video, removing any sign of dates for the majority of the titles shown, leaving only Ratchet & Clank, Horizon, and Returnal with estimated windows or dates. Um, mm-hmm. I am really curious as to what made them do that. Was it kind of like, even if this is still the targeted dates with COVID coming back around, do we really want to leave that up so people can use that as ammunition against us, or do we go ahead change it as early as we possibly can and then later if these games do have to be delayed due to a second round of covid stirring up that there's more reason for us to be like hey there's a we we wanted to give ourselves a cushion yeah i guess the thing with that is they already put it out there yeah it's out we screwed up the first time (laughs) yeah my thing is i i was surprised by project athia because i don't believe for a second that game is ever coming out Uh i you're like me in that I'm so burned by Final Fantasy versus 13 <laughs> and the fact that 15 is that and only characters has yeah. nothing else to do with 13 versus. Yeah. I still, you know what I want to do? It'll never, ever happen. I know this. Yeah. But much like film fans of Zack Snyder were able to hashtag Snyder <laughs> Cut for Justice League, I want hashtag Nomura Cut for Final Fantasy versus 13 instead of 15. I don't care if it means that we're going to have Noxus in two different games. I don't even think he'll end up being the same character. So it's no. fine. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. Project Athia gives me very strong deep down vibes. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I, even though deep down insists that it's still in development, I hope so. It looks cool. It does. I don't believe it's coming. In it's never at coming all. out. And if it does come, it's going to suffer from Duke Nukem Forever Syndrome. No, you know what's going to happen is they're going to announce Dragon's Dogma 2, and then they're going to be like, hey, guys, this was deep down. <laughs> ah, the old PR spin. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Project, I, I remember seeing it at the announcement, being like, that's not a real game. That's a woman jumping on rocks. It's not real. 
and they've done nothing to prove me wrong. It's called Project <laughs> Athia. Athia. It you doesn't have a funny? title. <laughs> you said it's just a woman jumping on rocks. So technically all they did was like they watched that Unreal 5 video. They're yeah. like, hey, we could do that. <laughs> we could make this look bland. Let's do it. <laughs> now, I'm telling you right now, though, like jokes aside, I really want Square to come out with a great new IP. So For I sure. want this to be good. I really do. And I don't think it looks terrible no i just thought it's odd that they show gameplay and (laughs) they show something that's supposed to at least approximate gameplay and then they slap a title like project athia or athia on it it just reeks of never coming out yeah that it reeks of a tech demo and that's the thing all generations have this we had deep down we had agents we had um Versus thirteen, if you really Versus want to be 13. honest, Scalebound, uh, the the card game they never should have announced. You know, uh, Microsoft never should have announced. This happens all the time because they want you to get hyped for their console. I just, I, I don't buy it. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. All right, couple more things we have here. While on the topics of potential delays, let's look at one that's actually been confirmed as delayed with Hogwarts Legacy, the Harry Potter title that seems like the deep dive into the wizarding world that fans have been waiting for. It has been delayed into 2022 to give the game, quote, the time it needs. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, think that's a pretty cut and dry one. It is. Yeah. <laughs> for being honest. It's fine. Um, yeah, it's fine. I mean, if I'm really thinking about it too, the only problem that this continues to bring up is it, it it basically just reaffirms what you just said in that for some reason, at the beginning of every console generation, they feel the need to show off a bunch of games. And then as the generation starts, it's like, hey, you're, but you're also still not going to see these games for at least another two years. Right. And that's <laughs> and, the especially with this generation is there were no games i think the the best way i've seen the ps5 be described as uh nobody bought the ps5 for games i bought the ps5 to stunt on my friends (laughs) that's why you bought the ps5 i I mean unless you're like me and saw where like demon souls is a big pull for you because i mean clearly that does exist and i mean demon souls is still one more exclusive well demon souls and let's see I think that's legit it, right? That's the only mm-hmm. other. Ex- that's the only exclusive game for it. Yeah. Okay. So even Demon Souls, a singular title which rated very well, is still better than Microsoft's no exclusives. Exactly. You know what I mean, uh, and so, but you're you're I, right. In the long run, even just Demon Souls, while it's in a, a lot of ways technically better than Killzone, Shadowfall, and Knack in terms of how it was received and probably how it's going to end up selling. Yeah. It's still technically, depending on where you want to come from, it could be subjectively worse, I should say, because at least Knack and Killzone were like first-person shooter, a really popular uh, you know, really popular genre, and then Knack, a platforming game. doesn't even matter if it's that great. At launch, you have two pretty different style of games for what you like. For yeah. PlayStation, if you're looking at exclusives only, technically you had Souls-like, which is becoming a big genre. Arguably is a huge genre at this point, but it's still not first-person shooter or platformer. No, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, the... I, I've bought I bought my PS5 and I've never played a PS5 game on it outside of an hour or two of Demon Souls. Yeah, most the most time I've spent on my PS5 is with Stardew Valley and Slay the Spire. Those are games I've been playing for years. That's fair. Yeah, see, well, I've played a considerable amount of Demon Souls, but you're right. At the end of the day, I'm just playing better versions of PS4 games yes. in the in the long run. I mean, yeah, 
Shadow Spider-Man looks fantastic on PS5 and runs oh. really well. And I'm so glad I didn't play that on PS4 personally. Right. But absolutely. See, and but that just goes back to your point: is I buy all the Souls-like games and I don't play them. <laughs> Which is kind of great. I was going to buy Mortal Shell because I already thought it looked great, and then I just got to play it for free. Yeah, lucky guy. <laughs> one, of these, every time. one of these days I'm going to go to you and be like, can you please buy this? <laughs> Honestly, at that point, I'll probably just say yes, even if I don't want it. Can you please buy Returnal? <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy Returnal. <laughs> Thank God, because I don't want to. I want to play it, but $70 is a lot for Returnal. $70 is a lot. Oh. Anyway, Go listen to our spoiler speaking, chats on the order if you want to hear about prices. That's true. Yeah, you can go <laughs> check that out. Uh, speaking of giving games the time they need, though, CD Projekt Red has nice. made an apology video. Um, it's their second apology, technically, but I think it's technically their their first apology video uh, for the state of, of Cyberpunk 2077 at release, and sadly, for many, still ongoing for console users. Um, <laughs> the video also offered up a roadmap for the game, detailing multiple mm-hmm. and consistent updates and improvements for the game. The free DLCs that were originally planned for right after launch, but have been pushed back so that they could focus smartly on getting the game running as well as it can on every platform and then of course it it kind of rounded out with showing us that there will be next-gen free upgrades as was promised to begin with and that they are currently aimed for the second half of 2021 now that is the first bit of information for a long bit of talking about oh yeah if we're being honest here we got some Um, things to say (laughs) yeah so kind of going through this though yes i'm curious because i know me and you both played through cyberpunk yep and we both had for the most part good experiences with the game content bad experiences with the game and how it ran absolutely so we had kind of a middling experience here for you how did you take this like how did you take this video what did did it make you feel any better or worse about how cyberpunk is being handled did it change the way you're viewing cd project red right now no yes and no um I've I had I think a lot more issues than you did. Um and I the thing is it's probably one of the best games I've ever played. But it's the most broken piece of garbage I've ever played. To the point where like a lot of this is a, a little insulting, you know? If you understand where I'm coming from, it, it Yeah, you mean like the video itself is just yeah. Yeah, cuz yeah. it's it's them saying after the holiday season after the game came out when they're well clear of most of the sales they're going to get it's them just saying yeah dude we know (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like come on man like the there are so many broken games right like no man's sky avengers anthem all of these things but this is the only one that i feel is truly insulting (laughs) Well, because I think that, you know, we've had plenty of examples of games coming out and not being what we expected, right? Exactly. Or even having considerable performance issues. None yeah. of them are to this degree. And I love this no. game. Much like you, I've said time and again, it's probably the best game I've ever played. It's at least one of the best games I've ever played. Yeah. But I've never had and never seen a game to this scale be so broken for so many people that doesn't mean that there are people out there i'm sure there's people out there playing on base xbox one the absolute worst version of this game yes who probably have never had the game crash at all which would oh my god have which you is, that's just talked what it about is. 
on the show my my crash experience yet. I, I've talked a little bit about it. I know you listen to most of the episodes, sometimes yes. a little passively, but I did talk to Saul. I think at one point I mentioned that you were at like 50-something crashes once you started yes. counting. <laughs> so I did the math. I played. I got the platinum for Cyberpunk 2077 in 65 hours, and the game crashed 77 times. That means that I had 1.2 crashes per hour I spent with Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. That is insane. And that's not mentioning the fact that I had to do another playthrough because the Pan Am um, quest glitched. Also doesn't mention the fact that I had to clear all of the side quests again to get the Platinum because one of them was just straight up broken. You know, that's that's stuff that, that there's just no way you don't know. Yeah, now here's the thing about that. I actually feel like the latter half of what you just talked about feels more familiar. It feels more like something we've seen in gaming before. It feels more like Skyrim yeah. running really poorly and having huge issues on PS3. It feels like Fallout 4 having stupid glitches and The Witcher 3 having stupid glitches and having quest-breaking bugs. I think the big consistent thing that makes cyberpunk for me in my experience and of course in many others is the frequency at which it crashed. I mean, it became the same where I was a weirdly lucky person and so was my buddy Blaze for Skyrim on PS3. Even after my my save got over the 50 megabyte, I think is what it was, Mark, uh, I never had a corrupt save. I uh-huh. didn't have a single issue besides the Mace of Molag Ball. I've talked about that a bunch. It just disappeared mm-hmm. while I was starting that quest. It that was sucks. just gone. So I couldn't do it, and I couldn't get the Platinum. Yeah, that's annoying. But there's a big difference between still being able to play pretty much the rest of that game free of any major things. Like, yeah, maybe I saw a person clip through a door or something stupid. Yeah, But, but is that really the same as being in the middle of something that you're having a blast with and then suddenly having it turn off and go, oh, it crashed. And then that not just being a once or twice throughout your 65 hours, but rather it gets so bad that you get to the point where at the end of the game, when I was doing the final mission, I kept thinking to myself, because you can't save for the majority of that mission. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking, please don't crash. Yeah. Please do not crash right now. I could not believe that I got through the entire final quest without a single crash. Absolutely. You know what's wild with the crashes? It was so predictable that I would say to myself, when it crashes again, I'm going to go to bed. And it would almost instantly crash. And I'd pick, <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> that was normally my mark to when it crashes again, I'm just going to play something else. You know how you mentioned when you're playing, uh, like when you were playing Mortal Shell, and whenever you die, you just kind of sigh and be like, I'm going to go play something else? Yes. That was Cyberpunk crashing for me. It right. was just, it was, oh, it crashed. I'm going to go try and play a little bit of uh, Nier or Destiny or whatever mm-hmm. else I happen to be wanting to play right now because it just got to the point where I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Like, whatever. Okay, it crashed. I'm going to go play Demon Souls for here. So uh, how do you feel, the last thing we're kind of talking about here, how do you feel about next-gen console upgrades being second half of 2021? I'm a little disappointed there. Uh, it feels like they should have delayed the game. <laughs> I mean, we know that, but uh, you're where, right, we, but where we are now with the that, game being out. That to me is what the the message that sends to me. You know, uh, it's The whole game should have released in the second half of 2021? Yeah, pretty much. Because uh, it doesn't make sense to me that you would do this, you know? I don't know. I guess that me- that just sends the message to me that they know it's not ready. 
and yeah. they knew they weren't going to have time to do this because they it's not like they had said oh well your next gen upgrade's coming in March they never said that because they knew that's true and one thing I didn't mention which I had in my head but I think I mentioned to you how often this game auto saves to the point where you would crash and barely lose any progress. You're you're right, and now every now and then I'd crash and lose a lot of project progress. But you're yeah. right for the most part, it's almost like they programmed the game to auto save because they knew it was going to crash. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, because open world RPGs like this don't auto save like this. Hardly ever. Never. At least yeah. I don't. I can't think of any. And this would be to the point where there were sometimes it would autosave, as if it knew the game was crashing. To the point where I had some where I would crash in the middle of quest dialogue, load back in, and be at the beginning of the same quest dialogue. <laughs> it's it was mind boggling sometimes that it, it the way it would do it. Yeah, you're, you're right. It real it was so weird to me because when I, I you know i've recently replayed skyrim and not that long ago and you always think about it in skyrim it's like you hardly ever auto save in skyrim no it's not- all about you stopping and saving and doing what you're supposed to do and then we're playing right now which is a different game to be fair in a lot of ways it's not the same type of open world rpg yeah but near automata doesn't have auto saving at all <laughs> no i, I told you i lost run a lot of mill. progress <laughs> yeah i mean it's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, I think that the big thing for me too, I think it's 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 indicative of either two things. Like you said, it's either indicative of the game itself just really wasn't ready for until second half of 2021 and they needed to do that. And right now, the reason that we're not getting the game earlier is primarily because to make all the other versions of the game that they're getting in a lot of legal trouble potentially for right <laughs> now is the last-gen console. So their bandwidth is going to be pretty thin right now when they have so many teams trying to work on getting the game to essentially be its best form across every platform. But it also could be indicative of the fact of something that I always look at with Phil Spencer when he talks about how it's supposed to be so easy for games to essentially just become scalable to where you make a game, you make it on PC, you make it for PC, and as long as it's got a PC version where you scale it, then you just go, okay, uh, what's the max settings that this console can basically run it at? And then we can do a little bit of extra optimization from there, and bam, you've got your other console version. I feel like this is potentially indicative, even though they still are a somewhat smaller team, that this is the case with why this is not so easy just to be like, okay, here is the PC version at um, medium settings or high settings or whatever, and we're just going to, and maybe we have to tweak something from high, but here it is. Here's the PS5 version, and then we'll still continue to update it to where we can higher optimize it, but at least day one right now, you're getting a version of the best version of this game which is the pc version yeah exactly and you think that that would be much easier definitely if nothing else shouldn't that game have day one with how easy it's supposed to be to do that with the xbox development kit stuff shouldn't the xbox version at least day one shouldn't it have a, a, an actual xbox series x version since it's supposed to be so easy to scale yeah you would think but I, again i'm not really down talking it uh, phil spencer so much as i think that it's more that he's saying something that is not entirely false, but I think people are taking it as that it's supposed to be so easy to do. I think it's because when you don't know enough about game development, and that's true of me too, I don't even know enough, it could be just as easy as he's talking about, and I'm ignorant to why it is so easy, but I understand some of it, and I think it's just a little more complicated than his words otherwise. It's, I feel like he 
not necessarily intentionally, but I feel like he's kind of underselling. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely <laughs> or, have you know, to agree there. I guess overselling how easy it is. Um, but we know that the rest of the CD Projekt Red stuff kind of dives deep into this Bloomberg article that has come out. And I guess it's really a Bloomberg expose at this point. Is that the best yes. way to kind of say this? <laughs> So no one should be surprised. Jason Schreier left Kotaku doing very similar things uh, and went to Bloomberg to, I guess, kind of expand what they do in gaming. Um, And we have a big expose that kind of goes into everything to do with how this game was handled back from when it was first originally shown with its actual demo and not like its teaser announcement, but when we saw it in 2018 and alleging some stuff about that, as well as alleging some of the issues within the studio and different things about how they were unaware the game was even coming until suddenly it was announced that it was coming. And across multiple you know, delays, it was still basically no one ever expected to actually hit that target. So, Chris, I know that you've had the chance to read far more of this than I have. So I'm going to let you kind yes. of spearhead this part of the conversation because I think... I can react to some of the things you're talking about, and I'm aware of some of them from what I have read already, but it's probably the best way to play this out. So go ahead yeah. and, and take um, it up. I mean, a lot of it is crunch stuff, which I don't necessarily feel the need to talk about. I don't know how you feel about crunch. Yeah, we've um, talked about it. I think that in any ideal situation, crunch wouldn't exist. But as we all know, humans are not ideal creatures in pretty much every industry has crunch you may not call it crunch but every industry has some form of it doesn't mean it's healthy and yeah you should try and minimize it as often as you can but also i think the i think the industries that are the most impacted by crunch is creative endeavors because in creative creative endeavors you're always striving for this balance between something that's finished and something that's perfect and it can never be perfect because if it's actually perfect you can never finish it because you're never going to get to perfect so eventually you have to kind of as they say colloquially crap or get off the pot you know you just something at some point has to happen if we put this much money in and we got to see this investment before this starts to become something we can't keep afloat and at the end of the day that means that sometimes something that approximates or just outright is what many would consider crunch is crunch but it's also just my last little bit on that i also have worked jobs plenty of jobs and i know it just doesn't make it right but it's just going to show i've worked jobs where i don't feel like it was crunch and I have a family and I've yeah. worked jobs that are 50 hours a week. And the people will be like, well, these, these developers are working 50 hours a week. I'm like, yeah, I do that every week. I don't <laughs> yeah. consider that crunch. No, exactly. I guess that's kind of my main feeling on crunch too, where as someone who works in a restaurant, I crunch for the entire day. So, and I work 10, 12, sometimes 16 hour days in a restaurant. Yeah. So well, I, I, it's hard for me to have much sympathy a curiosity too there is I, I think that the idea of crunch is so weird because crunch even then can kind of exist on in the time limit of what you're supposed to be working uh like a good example is i've mentioned to you that when i go into work tomorrow there's gonna be quite a bit of stuff going on and it's mm-hmm. going to be a very different 10-hour shift than what my normal 10-hour shift is right because there's gonna be a lot more stressors involved so i'm actually even though i'm working the same amount of time I'm going to need more stress. I'm going to need more sleep and I'm going to have to be really conscious of what I'm doing with my breaks and try and really relax and stuff so I can handle the stress that's going to come throughout the next week because of something that none of us can control. And it's just to the point where we've got to fix this. This is where we are. So I'm going to have crunch within my normal work hours 
Right. And it's the way I view it. It's like, you know, it's not going to be my normal work hours where, yeah, I'm pushing and doing my job, but I have room to breathe. For sure. Where for me, the way I've always thought about it, at least the way it's described when, you know, Jason Schreier gets on his soapbox about it is, is the same way as I have to get 50 buns made so that I can sell these tickets. And the more tickets that come in, the faster I have to work because I have to keep catching up, you know, and that's, that's crunch to me. That, That seems to be the definition, right? Is you have to work hard throughout your entire shift. Yeah. So, well, and, and even then, like in the restaurant business, right? You can go from where you're there for uh, six hours, and so far it's been slow, and then you think, well, this is going to be a slow day, and then suddenly yeah. the last three hours of your shift, it's crazy, Killer. and you get so many people coming in that you can't keep up, and there's yeah. always, you know, there's a lot of arguments, and it really is a hard thing because it's so nuanced depending on industry and all that. People are like, well... If uh, you know that there's a potential for that, why don't you staff appropriately? It's well, it's because you don't know. You never know if you're going to have a day where 80% of the day is nothing and then 20% of the day is, oh my God, how are we going to survive the night? Yeah. And the thing is, especially in restaurants, is like you can say that all you want, but someone trying to work on my station is going to get in my way more than help me. Also true. (laughs) So I would rather be stressed out and be swearing at my boss in my head for five hours than have Joe Schmo get in my way trying to drop fries when I'm like, dude, you need to move your butt up out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, either way, let's, let's kind of get into the yes. actual stuff going on here. But, but um, the crunch thing is important to kind of get a feel because I think that understanding how people feel about crunch will understand the way that they're kind of giving vibes when they're talking about it because we do come from a different point of of sympathizing for it like yeah. i sympathize for all forms of crunch but not to the degree that i think it's i personally just find it weird to think that there should be a world where it doesn't exist because just, i think it's that's a perfect world and we all yeah. know that we can't live in perfect worlds well that's uh, you know not to stay on the topic i'll move on but like even with creative stuff like i'm gonna have to stay up after this and edit the show and that's because i want to do something to get this creative endeavor out and that's why people crunch exactly. but the whole th- yeah. the whole thing with crunches with them was they were doing 13 hour days and it was a lot of like well i don't want to stay but okay you don't have to stay but someone's gonna stay if you don't kind of stuff which is that's shady that's shitty but that also happens in other places you know if i don't stay and cover a shift someone else is gonna have to cover my shift yeah that's how this all works um but i guess to me the big stuff that really pissed me off and made me feel less bad about some cyberpunk decisions i made recently um was they every game the gameplay they showed off from e3 all of that was supposedly fake like the game wasn't even coded at that point and they were just making movies basically to the point where some of the devs were saying like we don't this was just a waste of time making these demos we should have been working on the game <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then that that to me is the biggest thing where it's like what are you doing um i don't know how do you feel about that i mean yeah uh, of course there's going to be a lot of rebuttal coming from cd project red over what for sure you know what things happen here and here and here um i think the interesting thing is that yes if they put so if it turns out that this is 100 percent true the likelihood is high they could be true yeah <laughs> um you get into yeah. this thing of like yeah why did you spend so much time trying to convince me that i'm seeing gameplay and you, it worked it looked yeah. like gameplay and what's more weird is that 
the game is strikingly pretty similar to what they showed. It is. And, and that, if anything, that, that's impressive. The fact that you were able to go, well, here's a fake version of what we want it to be. It means that there was clearly a, a vision of what you wanted it to be. And you were able to see that vision through, even if it was at the expense of wasting people's time creating something just so you can show <laughs> it off. When you could have just been like, hey, keep it under wraps. I no, almost definitely. think the game would have been just as successful on day one if they would have never shown anything more. I don't know why they kept doing those Night City wires. I don't think they were needed. I don't think anybody needed it. No. You needed to show me one trailer of what I'm seeing in the game, and then you could even show me that little CGI trailer of Keanu Reeves coming in the game as Johnny Silverhand. And that's <laughs> all the marketing you needed. I'm pretty sure that everyone still would have just been as hyped because the main reason most people were hyped on your game is because The Witcher 3 was a smash success. Exactly. And you built up this huge thing being the player's developer and the player's publisher, and you've gone so far in the opposite direction here oh god it's it's insane um i will say a little credence to this story keanu reeves does not once say we got a city to burn doesn't ever say it <laughs> that's true but then again that's the problem with cg trailers yeah that's you get fair. to the, you get to the point where it's like they knew what they wanted to do with keanu but that doesn't mean that there's not certain things they cut because they're like ah we changed the idea for the end right here just a little bit for we're sure. gonna have him come in and re-record no, definitely. <laughs> there was just a lot of stuff that you saw, like the mantis blades climbing on the walls doesn't exist, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, an interesting point I saw brought up on another outlet was a lot of people just went into media blackout on the game after this, that trailer, you know? So oh, you're they, right. Yeah. They saw that trailer and got a game that was ostensibly not even close, not the same. It was close, but not the same. And that's what um, they responded with. I have to look up what the guy's name. I guess Marcin Iwinski. He was saying that like nothing ever, uh, E3 demos are selling the game, you know? We're supposed to show you what we want to do. They're, they're previews of what we hope to get out, which is a fair point. It is, um, yeah. But to me, just having nothing done and making this stuff it just smells dishonest yeah and then not outright just saying hey this is a target of what we want the game to be this is just hey this is our graphics rendering tech right now and this is what we ideally want the gunplay to look like and feel like and our characters to look like and our quest line you know dialogue trees and character renders this is all what we want it to look like but this is not actually happening right now this is us looking and creating the vision that we can give to you for what the game is going to be i think that's the biggest problem across the board is all always been uh what would you call that um i'm trying to think of the word that you use but transparency it's like every bit of what they did still could have worked transparency in hand if they even if the game launched on last gen consoles in the way it did but they said hey we're still going to release for last gen consoles because we always said we would but this is what it is right now this is the roadmap for what we hope it to be. You're going to roll the dice when you play the game. You can play the game and not experience a bunch of crashes. You can play the game and experience crashes. We've coded the game to autosave as much as possible so that hopefully the biggest downside is that you have to reboot the game and thankfully you're not having to replay the experience so it keeps fresh. Every bit of transparency and wording and good PR could have saved every bit of this. And there was a really interesting article I was reading where um, someone was mentioning that they think that CD Projekt Red due to this becomes Mm -hmm. an interesting prospect for a buyout because this exact same game, the exact same series of events handled by a bigger marketing team and a bigger company with better PR could have been saved. 
and i think that's true <laughs> is the craziest thing i i guess i would agree but i i think people are underestimating just how much money cd project makes they own oh, cd project makes a ton of money but yeah. they're still not ubisoft they're still not ea they're still not no I, I more just mean that there's no reason for them to sell because oh, i agree and, and but even this right let's look at a company that is selling that was still bigger than them cd project red is still not bethesda and bethesda still sold yeah but bethesda got fu money right they they were given so much money by Microsoft that you can't not sell, you know? And I think that's why they did that. You know, Sony could come in there and be like, you know what? We'll pay to fix this. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a billion dollars and you come join us. You know, does that, does that, do they do that? Maybe. Maybe. But yeah. Are you, who, who's going to invest in them at this point? Well, I think that's a big thing, right? I mean, when you look at the way, the, the one upside of the way PR is being handled right now is that the it's because of the way it's been done, you can already tell that most of the problems have come from actually the people up in the upper parts of this, uh, of the company, yeah. right? And even this video further goes to say, please do not blame the developers or even the heads. The only people that made this decision were people who were not directly involved with the development of this game. It was us and the board um, who decided to move forward. And I think that that sets up a really potential way for someone if a buyout were to occur, I personally don't think a buyout will happen, but I do give the potential for that to happen. Uh, you know, it's it's there, but it's I there. think that it's set up right now that if someone were to come in, swoop in, and buy them, and say in the per- in the process of purchasing them, we've left the people the creative leads and all this stuff we've left them intact we've left the good parts of this company intact and we've scraped off all the upper management that led to this particular thing happening you know the the board of directors and the ceos all those people are no longer here and this is one of our studios and they go under us now i think that that does save them and i think it's the right studio i think actually sony purchasing them i'm not saying that's going to happen i don't really think it would but i think sony would be a great person to purchase them i think someone like ubisoft would still mostly be viewed better but i think ubisoft has a big history of mismanaging stuff too and Mm -hmm. while it would still be better i don't think it would necessarily be the saving grace that everyone would want i think it'd be met with some kind of a resistance it would be met with the happiness that cd project would still be third party but it would be met with the oh but ubisoft does tend to mismanage games and have to let de- do delay or bug fix or whatever uh, and then if it goes to ea it becomes oh yeah it's third party everyone can still play them but suddenly there's going to be a crazy focus on uh making the game be either a game as a service or find a way to make it profitable with skins and weird dlc and the things the company's been known for go out of the window suddenly that's fair um i don't know i think the big thing that would argue against any sort of buyout is the fact that the next time you see profit from cd project red is probably let's say at minimum six years away because cyberpunk is already out and sold and witcher 3 isn't even in development yet so you're buying oh you mean the next witcher witcher 4 if we want to call it that yeah exactly which we don't know exactly where we're going there but that's that's just saying for the sake of saying i mean well they they did say that they were going back to the witcher after cyberpunk but we don't know if it's the witcher 4 but we'll we'll just yeah the just the next witcher game my my apologies um but you know what i'm saying where why would you buy them now 
unless it's to scrap everything they're doing but at that point you know you have them still do they're still doing gwent and i think another big thing outside of the fact they don't have another game in development yet supposedly is they own gog so they're making they're not making valve money but they're making money off that you yeah, know. they are. Well, if anything, that's actually a good way for Sony to diversify. They get Sony becomes the de facto owner of. I mean, this is just again and looking at something that can happen. Sony buys a uh, 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 head into a market that's big into PC. It gives Sony a chance to make money off of PC games without having to worry about putting their own games there uh, all the time. Uh, and because it would just be like Sony owning Funimation, it's not PlayStation owning Funimation. Sony would break that part off and be like, "We own GOG now. We'll keep it going. We already have a bill." in customer base then we take all the development side of cd project red and we absorb it and go into us it'll become a sony you know as an sie studio and then that's how we'll split those things up um i think that there's reason for that because sony right now when you could think about ea and ubisoft they both have markets on pc already uh there's less of a reason for them to want to buy in because of that Though you could look at them and say, oh, EA or Ubisoft would want to buy in and get GOG customers to kind of become de facto EA or Ubisoft customers for PC as well. You never know. For sure. No, definitely. It is what it is. I mean, there's a lot of potential there. Um, Okay, so rest of this uh, expose, what's the next thing you think would be worth getting into here? The big thing for me is that the team didn't think the game was going to be ready until 2022. Yeah. That that was internal expectations of pretty much the entire team. Exactly. And that's like discounting delays and everything. Like 2022, that sends a signal to me that the game isn't even close to what it's supposed to be. Which is, the most impressive thing about it is the game is still incredible. Yeah. But (laughs) Even with all this? Exactly. It's clearly not what they wanted to make. Or at least, you know, I think the big thing that comes to it is that even if the game in the way, in the fashion that it is right now, I think that it still comes down to you're probably looking at a game of that size to actually go through and uh, finish up probably some of the side quests you wanted to do and handle how you want to handle romances and whatnot and then go in and doubly make sure that everything runs as smoothly as it can with no crashes. Yeah. You're still looking at another year of development, realistically. Exactly. And I, think we'll, I think we'll and... see that based off of how the patches do. I mean, we've already seen a number of hot patches in the, uh, what, month since it's been out. And even with that month since it's been out, those hot patches have hardly fixed the crashing on consoles. It made it worse for me. Yeah, for me too. You remember the set I had of about 10 hours of gameplay with not a single crash. It blew my mind. Yeah. And then suddenly it updated and came back with a vengeance. Oh, yeah. Oh. It, it never really stopped for me, but... It just got worse after the patches, which is mind-boggling. Yeah, but even then, like, look at the 2022 window. I mean, you know, if you think about this, I think that makes sense. Cyberpunk 2077, for gaming purposes, is a new IP. I mean, yeah, it's an existing thing with an existing board game that's popular. Understood. But at least as far as the gaming market, and for all these fans of CD Projekt Red who had never heard of the board game for CD Projekt, or Tabletop, whatever you want to call it, uh, for Cyberpunk, rather, you get to this point where... That's where you are. You just look at it and you're like, oh, well, this is new IP. New IPs that don't have established mechanics everywhere across the board and you're trying to do all these balancing. You get to a point where four years of development, because you know the, the, another thing this expose talks about is that the game did not start full development until 2016. I already knew yeah. that because that they didn't start full development until after Blood and Wine came out. Yes. Um, so when you move towards that and you say full development starts in 2016, that's where we are. 
you look at something like Horizon Zero Dawn. Horizon Zero Dawn took like six or seven years of time to make. New IPs where you're having to set up characters, stories, ideas, gameplay mechanics, and how these things are going to come together, they take a lot of time. Exactly. Even even existing games take a lot of time. You know, I mean, you can sometimes look at a game where the next follow up game takes three years of development, and you're telling me that this new IP with all these new ideas and these changing a, a huge change for the studio, going from a fantasy RPG to a more city based RPG, all of that in four years. When Horizon, which was equally the same challenge for Gorilla at that point, when you think about the change up, if not even more for Gorilla. It took six or seven years. 2022 would have put that at six-year development time, and that would have been reasonable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, no. I want to, you know, you were talking about how, like, the climbing the walls with Manus Blades is not there. And I remember there was a thing where, like, you could see people, even uh, with gorilla arms, being able to rip turrets <laughs> off regardless of what their body strength was and all that stuff. Yeah. And you saw all these different things and using items in the game in different ways. And like he mentioned you know it's about the game you want to make but then when you also start looking and be like but we are an rpg how do we balance this game to where different rpg paths uh, and different character build paths make sense okay well we're gonna have to make it to where you can't just slap arms on to do this different thing because then you take away the potential for us for a unique build and we can instead make it to where okay well you built your character up to be able to do this so now you can go do this and it does come down to sometimes ideas that seem really cool have to be pulled back because they don't mesh with the rest of the game from a mechanical standpoint and how you want things to balance out. So yeah, giving more time to 2022 to be able to really figure out what you can and can't do and really think of ideas and be like, can we absolutely not have mantis arm wall crawling in? Like, can we have it to where you can have mantis arms and you can still wall crawl as long as your, uh, you know, agility is high enough. You never know. It's just, you could have had more time to figure that out instead of cramming and going, well, it has to be good enough. It has to be where it's at because, it's got to be finished, which goes back to that conversation I talked about of all creative endeavors exist between do you want it to be finished or do you want it to be perfect? There is a great middle ground. This game, even despite being so good, it was clearly more just on the, well, it's it's finished <laughs> in terms of <laughs> it's on disc. <laughs> yeah, it's been printed. You can definitely play it. You could put it in the console. It, rem- you put it, it reminds in it says me Cyberpunk of, uh, 2077. Yeah, it reminds me of when um you'll hear devs being like a year before the game comes out and it's like you can finish the game from start to finish. Doesn't mean you should, but you can. Yeah. That's what this all reminds me of. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I really do think about that. Like, there's a number of games I can remember in the past that were, oh, yeah, the game is playable from start to finish and then you still don't see it come out for at least another year. Uh, yeah. I mean, an and interesting like, yeah. example... An interesting example of that is The Last of Us, right? Where Neil Druckmann has said that that two-week delay was a difference between a 7 and a not and a 10, you know? Yeah. So think about expounding that by 52 times. <laughs> yeah, and you making know? a game that ended up being, what, high 80s? That game could have yeah. been a 10, I mean, for exactly. everyone. And it, and it rated high. They're lucky it that it rated as high as it did. Because right. it is an amazing game, but well, and that—that's another thing that we didn't even—we're not even talking about—is how they obfuscated reviews by only allowing people to see the PC version before it came out. Yeah, and you even know? then, actually, they were only seeing pre-recorded versions of the PC footage that was out for, uh, you know, just for media purposes. You weren't able yeah. to show your own PC gameplay until the game released. Exactly, which is gross. 
yeah, there's there's a lot of very odd missteps that happened here. And like I said, I think that the real story here is that a better PR department. And what's funny is that they had good PR in some senses. They had good public relations in terms of being edgy and making dumb jokes and getting people to know them, even if it's occasionally through something that ended up being a little bit of drama for them. But yeah. they had that. And they had ballsy, uh, you know, marketing moves like showing that mix it up poster that got them a lot of flack. But <clears> it's just as much flack as it got them. It got people looking at me and like, oh, interesting. This game's going to kind of look at how people don't view the human body as sacred anymore. And then the characters who do view the human body as sacred and don't change things, uh, you know, all willy nilly like this game shows people doing are an interesting side character people where you can go, oh, well, why don't you have any augmentations? Yeah. And, you, know, you have that and the game explores all that and they did a good job doing it there but what they did a terrible job on is just talking about things about the game and how it's going to be and just making people understand that there is a great game here and depending on yeah, which platform absolutely. you're playing on it's a great game day one like you know even on pc the day one reviews were honestly pretty solid so people said yeah it's a little glitchy could be better but it's pretty solid nobody really mentioned that it cl- crashed a lot on pc you had a pretty good version even if they just said hey look pc comes out december 14th still or whatever the really state ended up being and then they say we're gonna we're gonna have to for console's sake we're gonna have to just another three months think of it this way like right now there are 1.1 and 1.2 updates that's on the roadmap. If those end up coming out uh, one in February, one in March, then if you just delayed the game to March and the game is not crashing and it's pretty similar to the PC at that point and just performance, then you can look at it and go, okay, yeah, maybe they should have just let the PC version release when it did and then delayed the console and just let it come out. And good PR could have done that and could have – yeah, they could have leaned on that dumb quote that I'm not saying the quote <laughs> itself is dumb, but you could have leaned on that uh what is that, Miyamura quote or whatever the uh, dude from the, Nintendo the was like Yeah. A, a a delayed game is eventually good. A rushed game is always bad or whatever, yep. you know? You could have just keep you could have keep letting people spout that out of their mouth for the next few years if you yeah, needed absolutely. to. <laughs> you know what's interesting is they could have even taken the Hello Games approach and literally said nothing. That's all they just true. fixed it. <laughs> that's also true though the difference between hello games is that it was a game that launched in a pretty much perfectly playable state it didn't crash all the time or anything it just wasn't what they were they, it wasn't what they advertised no for sure i'm just i think the difference how... with cyberpunk is that it's a lot different than no man's sky where you're looking at people being like hey the game works perfectly fine it's just not what i thought it was versus hey i can't even play this game guys it crashes every 20 minutes <laughs> not responding to one is a lot different than just responding to it doesn't work you know like yeah. would you be pissed if you bought a car and then you like your car the uh, two weeks in just stopped working outright and you called them and they just didn't say anything versus <laughs> <laughs> versus if you buy a car and then as you keep driving you're like eh, this isn't quite what i thought it was but you know i mean that's not really uh, you know, like yeah, I, they kind of advertise it in a way where I thought it was something different, but the car works. Yeah, You'd be a I, lot less pissed. That's fair. I, I'll give you that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, man. but that was most of the big stuff I wanted to talk about with CD Projekt Red. I just found a lot of it just genuinely insulting. It is weird. I mean, and, and it's always going to be this mix between uh, how in any given situation right there's two stories and mm-hmm. we're getting the story from the officials at cd project red and then we're getting the story from the developers and the truth is always i like to say 
in these situations, the truth is always somewhere realistically in the middle. Now, how far yeah. it leads to one side is always a, another argument to be had. But the reality is, is that the game isn't the the, the development wasn't as unproblematic as CG, CD Projekt Red may want you to believe from official sources. But also, it's it's probably likely that the game wasn't also as bad during development as these anonymous sources are saying. It's somewhere in the middle. It does seem like it skews far more towards the people who are, you know, even if you want to call them disgruntled employees, it does seem like it leans far more towards that. But the reality is, is that somewhere in the middle and you shouldn't take either of these as gospel truth. Look and kind of just be reasonable and say, yeah, it's somewhere in the middle and decide for yourself whether you want to keep supporting someone like this or if you want to move on and say, well, I'm done with CD Projekt Red. They're all reasonable stakes at that point, you know? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. All right, Chris. Well, if there's nothing else you want to say, I think it's time for us to round out this surprisingly long episode of the show. All right. Well, Chris uh, joined us today, so thank him for that. Hope you guys give him some shout-outs. You can find him over on Twitter at F-I-G-Z-2-1-K and give him some love for being on the episode and joining me so that we could stay on our normal schedule. He's also staying up late tonight and editing, so he's being a real trooper as I go and handle a pretty stressful work week uh, moving into. So, Thank him for that, and you're going to hear more of him. Remember, you can go find us. Uh, we're talking about Nier Automata pretty soon on our te- uh, Triangle Square spoiler chats. That is on this podcast feed, so you don't have to go anywhere. Just uh, when it pops up, give it a listen if it interests you, and continue to welcome Chris as uh, he makes his way more and more into this content. Uh, we like to always shout out our patrons at the end of our content. So remember, if you want to support the show, you can head over to Manscaped and get some great content, manscaped.com. Uh, and do triangle squared or <laughs> I'm pulling a saw do code SQRD <laughs> and get 20% off that shipping as well as uh, 20% off that order as well as free shipping. And you can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash Nartech and giving as little as a dollar per month to help us, uh, you know, keep the hosting cost of the show up if we didn't get any new equipment and being able to help people like Chris pay him for editing and stuff as he becomes more and more part of this. So thank you guys so much. And as a final shout out, we'd like to thank our newest patron, Mr. Mark Schultz. We also have Kyle Grimm. Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Bacon Bits, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, The Stonerd, Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, and Richard Schaefer. Again, if you want to support the show with more than just your time, which we are always so thankful for, head over to patreon.com slash nartech. Thank you guys so much. Thanks.